Today's podcast is brought to you by 13 Star Designs. 13 Star Designs is a unique vinyl and embroidery shop featuring seasonal designs, spooky gifts, and of course, their signature item, the world-famous dick mark. The first ever penis-shaped bookmark. They sell wreaths and blankets and towels and all sorts of cool and weird stuff. Even bookmarks shaped like bookmarks, if you can even imagine. Check them out at facebook.com slash 13 star designs and find something perfectly strange for that strangely perfect person in your life. That's facebook.com slash 13 all spelled out star designs. Everybody, I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we're back with today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm a long-time listener. And this is my first time through. And together, eh, we try to figure stuff out. Some days better than others. <laughs> How hey, you doing today, Liz? I'm doing all right. Had a really exciting day. Renewed my oh. driver's license, but I had to go to the DMV. Oh, yeah. Partay. Partay. California DMV now has kiosks. Yes, I've done that before. But I and, wanted oh. to get my real ID, so I had to bring my passport and shit. Oh, I got to get that too. You actually, you're going to need that to fly soon. I have a, I can bring my passport. Yeah. It's going to be next oh, March, you, I think. Yeah. You need your real ID or a passport. My passport yeah. just expired in oh. July, I think. Bum deal. Um, either way, my passport just expired. So I need to do that because mm-hmm. I'm such a jet setter. I went <laughs> out of the country. Well, actually I went out of the country a lot of times because I moved to Canada during yes. those 10 years. <laughs> I don't count Canada as outside the country. It's just like climbing up to the hat. Well, back then um, you didn't need. Yeah, did you, I did. Can you find? Oh, you did. Okay. Also, I didn't fly to Canada. I moved to Canada. No, I know, I know. But when you're trying to think, maybe a, I guess that was after the passport. You could use a passport card. Yeah, I think you're point. thinking of nine eleven. <laughs> no, um, it's been a minute since you could just like. Because I thought you could. I mean, you wrong, used to be able to drive the into Canada or Mexico, which yeah, time. our our mom. Our, our mother grew up in Ohio and they would drive up to Canada to get crunked mm-hmm. way back when. Cause you only had to be 18. I'm sure she was just the designated driver because our mother is a perfect angel, but uh-huh. all those other hussies in the car in the Catholic school <laughs> girls, all those Catholic high school girls. Oh man. I went on a bike ride today. Tuesday's my bike riding day. I know. It's, nice. I love that Tuesday's my bike riding day because every podcast, like, oh, I went on a bike ride today. And it sounds like I'm like super fit and like I have like focused <laughs> and like a drive in my life. And maybe someone will want to, you know, be my friend. Um, 
My special lady Dork. friend. <laughs> Dork. I went on really? a walk. I can't go to the gym right now because of my knee, but I, I at least went on a walk. Mm-hmm. Last time you talked about going on walks, the excuse was your migraine. So is it Oh, my brain. Oh, my well, no, I actually got cleared. Um, I can do – I can. the PT said I can go to the gym, but oh. I just have to do really light weights for my legs. Yeah. So – What did you – what was the diagnosis? What ended up happening? I know you you, she, bum, you you got a bum knee. Yeah. Um, the doctor thing said it's a um, meniscus tear. I'm running out of menisci um, in my left knee, the opposite knee of where I got a surgery five years ago. Don't, don't you only have one on each? Uh, you can, it's, it's on both. I had a bilateral meniscus tear on the right side. I got, that was when I got microfracture surgery because it, my knee was so messed up. They had to do microfracture surgery. Like Mike Odin. I totally was like, so I'm like an NBA player now, right? Yeah. And it never works for them. No, it doesn't. Because well, what you? it does is they drill into the tibial plateau so that you have additional blood flow to the, um, the space between your two bones and your knee. Yeah, you know how I could tell that microfracture surgery was a bad idea for a professional basketball player? How? Because they drill into your fucking knee. Well, they, it's the inside. They f- listen it's, to the name of the. It's, a, uh, it's I'm increased. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm smart enough to know that I know nothing, right? Like that's like <laughs> that's like an important path. Like stop on the path to knowledge is like. Oh yeah. You, the more you learn about any given subject, the more you don't know anything, the more you realize like, holy shit, I'm dumb. I know nothing. Right. And mm-hmm. I stopped there. I like, didn't actually get past that to know stuff. <laughs> I was just a bachelor's degree. Um, but like, I know enough to know, I know nothing. But yeah. also when, when someone tells me I'm going to get micro fracture surgery where they're going to intentionally might do like, I can tell you that's probably not going to work or, or they need a serious rebrand campaign. They need to name it something else. Yes, one of those two things. Yeah. It is pretty gnarly. Did Carmelo get that? I know Greg Oden had that. Oh, he had it a couple times. Yeah, because it, it, it worked so well the first time, Gregski. Oh. Uh, but I think Carmelo Anthony might have gotten it too. It was, it was a big thing in basketball for a while. Yeah. And then everyone realized, oh, this never works. Let's. Uh, let's let yeah, I don't know do the it. whole. I don't know that much about microfracture surgery, but yeah, I well, did I have do. It. I'm, an, I'm an expert microfracture surgeon. But uh, that was I, I kept saying that I was a NBA star, NBA player because I had mm-hmm. microfracture surgery because those are the only people you hear about having microfracture surgery. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I had a my elbow was a little screwy in college. It didn't tear, but I like serious like strain. I was really excited. I was going to get Tommy John, and I did. <laughs> <laughs> you and the kid from uh, uh, Rookie of the Year. No, that wasn't Tommy John. That was I don't know what that was. He fell and broke his arm, and I thought he had a head of a ligament replaced or something like that. Top- Although, like, there are some high school kids getting, like, preemptive. Oh, God. That's awful. It's youth sports, man. Youth sports are fucked up. I say that. My job is youth sports, and youth sports are fucked. That's crazy. But I digress. Um, yes. We are uh, just finishing up Blood Rights today. Mm-hmm. Book six in the Dresden Files magnum opus of Mr. Butcher. Some say it's Codex Alera, but I'm pretty sure it's this one. But yeah, we're getting into the climax of this novel, which is funny because we just had this one of the climaxes of this novel. Yeah, yeah, we just finished up this gigantic action piece where Harry got his uh, most of his hand burnt off 
he had a huge revelation with his mentor. Mm-hmm. So he's broken down mentally and physically. And it really, it is that part of the hero's journey. Kind of, you know, you got to get to your lowest and go back up. But usually that's more cerebral. Rather than physical. But here it's just like, like you said, it's one of the two climaxes. So I'm going to do another 30 seconds on this catch up just so we're on, on all up, up to date. But yeah, um, Lissy basically hammered it the nail on the head there. The first climax we just got through last week. And now we have the second climax, but it's the end of blood rights. And um, assuming we have unanimous consent. Yeah. Last episode, we learned that Kincaid may or may not be human. Ebenezer McCoy may or not may or may not be a good guy. And Murphy may or may not be an avenging angel. Badass stud. Um, they went and they took down Mavra's scourge downtown and they went downtown and Mavra went to ass whooping town and he owes Kincaid a bunch of money. And he basically interrogated Ebenezer about the revelations that Kincaid brought up Ebenezer McCoy, who is Harry's mentor and kind of father figure who represented everything good and pure about magic. Kind of a. He taught Harry all the good things that he knew about magic. And yeah. yeah and Harry believe he taught Harry to believe that magic was his pure force of creation. And that it was required of, of someone with that power you know, with great power comes great responsibility mm. to protect the people around them. And Ebenezer admitted what Kincaid hinted at, that he was the White Council's wetworks man. He was the Blackstaff with a capital B, which is a position of a one wizard in the entire council who is granted the power to break any and all of the laws of magic whenever he sees fit, he or she sees fit. Um, And that kind of broke Harry because this is someone, his rock, when... He had run away from Demorne, had the fight, had the traumatic trial, and he was placed with Ebenezer. And it, you know, we saw two weeks ago Murphy's faith in the law and how that is the only way to approach justice got shook and she bounced back. Harry right now has to do the same thing because his entire understanding and belief in his faith system in magic is shattered. And it's great. Those parallel experiences are really great. And I love that. You know, we talked again, we talked about last week, but Harry initially didn't believe Kincaid. Yeah. And, you know, it it took him an extra couple chapters to come to the realization that Kincaid was right. And Ebenezer is not all he's cracked up to be. And so that's literally the lowest of the low where we're at, but we still have to deal with the entropy curse and the three Stregas, and presumably one powerful benefactor who's helping the Stregas. And we we got another fight on our hands, and Harry's going into it, not only crushed emotionally, but also with basically one hand. Yeah. And we will see what happens there. Go get him, Ice. So, chapter 36 is where we're starting. And so Harry is, you know, he's sitting on the couch, he's kind of 
he says, I felt tired. I felt afraid. And I felt alone. Obesito. And then the puppy, in its great puppy wisdom, climbed into his lap and starts giving him puppy kisses. And, you know, Mr. obviously is not going to stand for that and kind of cruised in. And uh, I guess you're nothing but trouble, I told the dog. But I already have a furry companion, right, Mr.? And Mr. kind of just looks at him, knocks the puppy off the couch, and then walks away back up to his bookshelf. I laughed. I couldn't help it. The world might be vicious and treacherous and deadly, but it couldn't kill laughter. Mm. Laughter, like love, has the power to survive the worst things life has to offer and to do it with style. It got me moving. And so he calls Thomas. And somebody else answers. It's a girl. It's an Ari. And she is upset. Somebody has taken Thomas, one of her father's men. And Harry asks, is Laura there? And obviously, Laura is going to be a little bit more in the know about all of this. He says, Laura, I know your father is behind the curse on Arturo, along with Arturo's wives. I know they've been gunning for his fiance so that Wraith can get Arturo back under his control. And I have a question for you. Oh, she said. Yeah. Where is Thomas? It excites me when a man is so subtle, she said. So debonair. Better brace yourself then, I said. I want him in one piece. I'm willing to kill anyone who gets in the way. And I'm willing to pay you to help me. So he's, they have a truce and he is going for it. And Harry says, I'm willing to give you House Wraith and the White Court with it. He's got some plans. He's going to remove Wraith from power. He's going to give give Lara the, the seat at the head of the house. And she's like, how the hell are you going to do that? Get me in there. Then all you have to do is watch from the sidelines while Cat's Paw Dresden handles, you, handles your father. So a Cat's Paw, I had to look this up because I know what a monkey's paw is, but I didn't realize a Cat's Paw is a person who is used by another to carry out an unpleasant or dangerous task. Yeah, it's a patsy. Which makes sense. Or it's, um, not I, quite, it's not quite a passive. Actually, a pet's not a, at all a passive. You're, yeah. But yeah. Similar, I, similar energy. But yeah, no, it's the person who does the work, dirty work for you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so they, they, they talk about how it, it'd be good for her to be there because, you know. And he also tells her that part of the deal is that she tells Inari the truth. Tell her about well, the bloodline and let her make up her own future. He's using political capital here. Like he's a terrible politician. Yes. Uh, he's using capital on something that matters 0% to him, mm-hmm. which we've talked how much about how he's a good man. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love that right there that he throw it's a throwaway and you know, maybe it doesn't change the math, but when you're negotiating for something, and part of that negotiation is something that does nothing for you. Yep. Right. I just, I love that. I love that from Dresden right there. It's a small character beat, but it, I think it's really important and it, it shows who he is and how we know who he is better than he does. Right. He's scared of this darkness inside, but he has an opportunity to really take advantage of Lara. And part of that is he wants to protect Inari, who he met two days ago. But he has always shown that he's willing to protect the weak. Oh, of course. I, I just, and this I is love, just I love it. yet another example of that. And I really, really like that. Weaker. 
The weaker, yeah. Not actually weak, but those that he, he sees as having less power than he does. Yeah. And she says, I am not yet sure if you are truly that formidable or simply a vast and mighty fool. But for, the time, <laughs> but for the time being, I'm finding you an extremely exciting man. Por que, uh, lo, por que no los dos? What? Why not? Why not both? Ah. I am finding you an extremely exciting man. All the girls tell me that. She laughed. Let us assume for a moment that I find your proposal agreeable. I would need to know how you intend to overthrow my father. He's somewhat invincible, you see. No, he isn't. I'm going to show you how weak he really is. And how do you know this? I closed my eyes and said, Insight. There is something else I must know, wizard. Why? Why do this? I owe Thomas for favors past, I said. He's been an ally. If I leave him hanging out to dry, it's going to be bad for me in the long term when I need other allies. If the plan comes off, I also get someone in charge of things at the White Court who is more reasonable to work with. No, she said then. That's not all of it. Why not? That would be sufficient reason if it were me. But you aren't like me, wizard. You aren't like most of your own kind. I have no doubt that you have reasonable skill at the calculus of power, but calculation is not at the heart of your nature. You prepare to take a terrible risk, and I would know why your heart is set to it. I chewed on my lip for a second, weighing my options and the possible consequences. Then I said, do you know who Thomas's mother is? Margaret Le Fay, she said, puzzled. But what does that... She stopped abruptly. Ah... Now I see. That explains a great deal about his involvement in political matters over the past few years. You're much like him, you know. Thomas would sooner tear off his own arm than see one of his siblings hurt. He's quite irrational about it. <laughs> Is that enough reason for you? I'm not yet entirely devoid of affection for my family wizard. It satisfies me. And then they talk about how, you know, he he's given her blackmail. But he also knows about her family so it's kind of a balance of power there and so murphy shows up and she says what sort of time frame did you have in mind an immediate one the immediater the better which i just love that and so murphy shows up he says rev up the hog you ready for another fight her teeth flashed she tossed me a red motorcycle helmet and said get on the bike bitch <laughs> i love that i just that entertained me immensely The next chapter starts with a good paragraph about how dangerous motorcycles are, basically, on average. It's factual. Oh, it's great. Um, one of the, So both of our parents were involved in medicine in different ways. My dad was a respiratory therapist and did other stuff. He did work trauma, though. And did trauma. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> he worked he works the trauma unit in the ER. At- yeah. And he also, he rode helicopters. Mm-hmm. Dying people in them. And uh, our mom was a nurse for forever. They refer to motorcycle drivers as organ donors. Donor cycles. And that's a very common. I've never heard of donor cycles, but. Oh, um, yeah. But it's a very common within the, the medical field to refer to m- motorcycle drivers as organ donors or something along those lines. And, and this is and in the coroner field. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and this, this, this paragraph's a great illustration of that, which is basically like everyone's going to get in an accident at some point. And 
even if you're going 20 miles an hour in like a big old Lincoln, you're fine. If you're going 20 miles an hour on a motorcycle and you get clipped, like you could legitimately die. I've never been on a motorcycle myself. I've never been on anyone either. All right. Well, let's get one. You can be in the sidecar. Actually, actually, <laughs> that's I would probably actually, safer, actually. I would way rather be in the sidecar. Maybe not if you're driving, but with most people. But I do like the next line. All that said, riding a motorcycle is fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they start driving off and he's holding his staff in his good right hand and his left hand is bandaged and painful. And she's like, hang on to me. He's like, I can't. So he shoves his staff into what's basically a shotgun or rifle holder mm-hmm. right next to her, which I love. Um, that her bike has a large caliber gun pouch. Just a, a, long, a long, a long gun. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which is hilarious. And also on, on point for Murphy. Oh yeah. Uh, it, it didn't surprise me in the least. They head out to Chateau Wraith. There, there's a line there that like sticks out. I don't know if that's stuck out to you at all. Mm. It might've taken me an extra few seconds to take my arm around her waist, but she didn't seem to mind. Like, I took that either two ways. First was that he's got his arms around a girl. Second was that he had to stabilize himself before he got off the bike. Yeah, it I was mean, a lot. And also, like, he's also got this other hand that's doing nothing. So, like, you're yeah. already like always off balance. It just seemed weird to me. Yeah, um, there's a couple moments. Yeah, again, not like the yikesiest thing ever. No, just no, like, not at all. Just weird. Um. He describes her as having her board cop face on, which I like. So, like, they've worked together enough that he knows kind of her ways, right? Her she's, vibe. Yeah, but she's got, like, a face that she puts on when she's talking to questionable bad guys mm-hmm. that he's seen before and he recognizes it, which I like. Just a board cop face, yeah, whatever. But we know how deadly Murphy is. Oh, yeah. Um, and they have a back and forth where she's like, ask if the plan was to, to fight. He's like, no, 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 not right away. Like, let's, <laughs> let's <laughs> hold, up. hold up, hold yeah. up. And, you know, she says, but don't let, don't let any of the wraiths physically touch you. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Good warning. We see a white sports car come up to meet them. And that's Lara. She's wearing a red skirt. We very rarely see any of the white council wearing red. Mm -hmm. I don't think it means anything necessarily, but it's almost like a flash of rebellion here to me. Um, So I guess those those back-to-back sentences are incongruous, but like they're very, they're often wearing white or dark, you know, you see dark colors, but like I can't recall before or after anyone in the white court wearing like a big flashy red outfit. Yeah, um, even even when they were at the masquerade ball or whatever, Thomas was wearing like all white, wasn't he? He was a butterfly. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's a huge. It's obviously not a huge plot point or anything like that. Yeah, but to to me, that kind of screams that she she's into this rebellion idea. Yeah, and again, it could be nothing. I, I you guys know by now that I read into stuff, but I think that might actually mean something there. Um, she also has toe rings, which are weird. Uh, <laughs> Early 2000s. But I digress. Well, the thing is, too, is I don't because he calls her Carmen and Carmen. It, she the story of Carmen is is rather tragic. 
Mm-hmm. Like in the opera, Carmen, Carmen, I believe she dies on stage. Um, so it's, it's, it is sort of, a uh, it's, it's a tragic story of, of like abandonment and, um, abandonment and, and lives and things like that. Well, that does check out. And that's uh, the thing. I mean, that maybe, I don't know if that was an intentional thing, but like, well, I mean, obviously Harry calls it out, right? He, he yeah. recognized it, which is part of why I kind of lingered on it for a second. I mean, obviously like I Most lingered definitely. on it before that, but it just kind of reinforces that like if people, in, if people in universe also re- recognize when something's off, something's off, you know what I mean? Yes. Like it's strange. It, it's just, it is a weird, you, you haven't been around enough white court to really for that to pop as much as some, you know, myself and some others, I'm sure. Uh-huh. Like, a loose red skirt. I'm trying to think. There's another big white court-centric novel. So I don't want to speak too definitively, but I don't remember any of them. Certainly in my head. Maybe in the text they're in red. But it just seems like it pops a little bit, which is fine. It's just interesting. Yeah. Um, she He meets Murphy, who says, I'm a friend. I can never have too many friends. <laughs> I didn't say your friend. I'm with Dresden. <laughs> um, she also lets her know that she's a cop. And then we see Bobby and Inari are here. Like, why the fuck did you bring Bobby and Inari? And she- I love that. He's like, why are they, why are they here? Why are they here? <laughs> they insisted there was a little time for argument, right? Cause Inari's brother has been kidnapped. Yeah. A- and clearly Harry and Laura were working out a plan to get him back. So I, I get, her kind of insisting and Laura says, Inari, be a darling and fetch her right, right away for me right away. Bobby, dear, if you could help her, I would take it as a kindness. And they go and say, they'll bring her right down. And we don't know who her is, but thought he, he should know. Yeah. She was, can she, that, that was interesting. I thought, right. She thought, um, we saw this earlier with Thomas where he said he just says cryptic remarks around her and she thinks she's, she's attributing extra weight to all the things he he says, you know? So I, I think she's so wary and so like nervous because of what her father's put her through that she always attributes extra awareness and meaning to everyone else. Okay. That makes sense. So I, I believe it, that she actually believed that Harry had figured out that this was Justine, right? Um, even though he had no fucking clue. Um, they have a little joke conversation after she puts a sash on and, you know, about Pirates of Penzance, um, and theater humor, which I'll leave to Lissy to, uh, (laughs) figure out. I actually am not familiar enough with Pirates of Penzance, so I do know that it's a, it's an opera, but I believe it's a comedy. I mean, I can... You want me to suss out what I believe based on the context that Pirates of Penzance is kind of a garbage. Well, it's level. Gilbert and Sullivan, so well, I don't know. If that's their their musicals, and they're bad. And so comparing her to that was kind of a a negative. I I know I don't know anything about Pirates of Penzance, Carmen, or Gilbert or Sullivan, but I got all that context, baby. But we see Bobby comes out with Justine, who has this like pallor near death and her hair is 
silver and white. It's gone gray literally overnight. And we learned that Thomas didn't kill her. Yeah. He sure as shit almost did. But somehow immediately when he got, you know, he was an empty cup, right? And he started feeding from her. And historically, white court vampires, they can't stop when they're that hungry. And somehow, because of their true love, he was able to, as soon as he was full enough to be in his own power and comprehend what was going on, he pulled away at the last possible instant and didn't kill her. Laura literally doesn't know how he managed it. Yeah. Which again adds... Adds more weight to that earlier chapter when Thomas is struggling with her, at that point, assumed death. Because he didn't realize he had saved her. Yeah, and it caused enormous psychic trauma. It it could have killed Thomas. Yeah. And it didn't, obviously. That's wonderfully lucky. Um, At this point, it's lucky for Lord Wraith because he can use him in the spell, but it's long-term, it's, you know... It's just a wonderful turn of events. Um, And, you know, Murphy suggests that maybe she broke it off. And we learn a little bit of the, you know, the lore here that basically like when you're being fed on to the victim, it's just pleasure. Yeah. Like it's just all good stuff until you run out of gas and you die. But so there's no way it could have been Justine. Like Thomas had to have done it, which is really cool. And because he was able to do something so remarkable. She thinks maybe they have an impression and like a psychic bond and they do. Justine's able to point sort of point. (laughs) She's like pretty trashed right now. I mean, she, she's been through it, Um, but she's able to kind of point or nudge gesture in the direction of Thomas. And she even feels the chains, the cold around him. Which suggests this is a really deep connection, right? Because Thomas is chained up. Mm-hmm. We don't know that yet. Thomas is chained up. So that's a cool, interesting thing that maybe we'll learn more about as we go through. Um, and so they just kind of, she's like, you know, I said, she kind of has a gesture. They, they have to turn the chair. She's in a wheelchair and they turn it around until she can nudge at them. And when we see, when Lara sees what direction she's nudging, she decides, He's in the deeps. What? Mm -hmm. An old cave on the northern edge of the property, which is where they dispose of things, like corpses. She's like, yeah. (laughs) I do love how just like nonchalant she is about, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Like, yeah, she's food. She's food. He's a corpse. We throw him down the shaft. Like, whatever, you know, it's cool. Yep. (laughs) And they're talking about heading down there. And I love the description here where Harry says a major league pitcher planted a fastball directly between his shoulder blades. Hmm. Uh, He got shot. But he has armor, which is cool. Yes. Um, His armor is just warded leather, but still armor is fun. And we actually did see this and we got a mention of this from uh, Brandon. Actually, this actually happened early in this novel where he got the flaming monkey poo on his jacket Mm -hmm. and that was the first time he mentioned the wards and we we just kind of glossed over it in this pod um i'm not sure if you remembered recognizing that or not but 
But this is the second time this novel where we've seen his his warded coat. Yes. Um, well, it, it, that's I I do I believe we talked about that. I, I mean, I believe Brandon more than either of us. <laughs> no, I mean, but I, I know I I know I noted it that oh, cool, he's got wards on his jacket. I mean, we did talk about a lot of things last week, so no, that was that that would have been chapter two weeks one. ago. No, five weeks ago. Oh. Oh, that in chapter one. Yeah, because it happened last week, too, where his coat protected him. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about. So sorry. Sorry, Brandon. We've been deficient on recognizing this the spell-infused uh, jacket, which is just it's really cool. Again, the, the we've mentioned it before, where the staff and the flowing duster is a huge part of his persona. Mm-hmm. And remember, in death masks where he didn't have his coat and every single person was like, Hey, where's your coat? You know, yes. that's a big part of him. And now we've leveled up to this coat is not only cool and flowy in the wind, but it's also gives him some serious protection. It's just kind of a cool yeah. character progression, but it, it's neat that it is, like you said, it's, it's what everybody expects him to be in. But the fact that that has now, morphed into also his biggest protection is very on brand for butcher mm-hmm, mm-hmm, i think mm-hmm. yeah because it's like it's no longer oh it's just a look it's functional um and and i love that there's reasons for everything it's like the reasons we learned we you know they talked uh he talked about it went why karen's hair is short you know, just these physical attributes that there's reasons why these characters have these physical attributes. Harry wears the jacket. Karen's got her short hair, but she's also got, she's small, you know, and all of these things where there, there's reasons for it. And I really just kind of like that they're developing into not just physical attributes, but character traits almost. Yeah. I have a beard because I, I look better with a beard because I have wobbly chin. For instance, I mean that works too, and I have blue in my hair because I'm actually a mermaid, and I'm trying to like remind the universe <laughs> that I'm a mermaid, and then I shouldn't have to have a regular nine to five. I agree. I don't want you to have a nine to five. I would love to be a mermaid. Eh, you would stink. I wouldn't get out of the fucking ocean. Well, then you you're not invited for Christmas. <laughs> it could be like a splash. No way to get out of the water. I have legs. Fair enough. It's a, a deep cut. That's, that's not as... We've gone deeper. We have so gone deeper. We have, in fact, gone deeper. Speaking of going deep, this cannot, This doesn't need to be in the pod. Uh, Aaron found um, Lady in White, White on yes. streaming. <laughs> I started watching something on on Tubi last night because I was like, I want to see how this app works. I watched... Uh, what movie was that? We have referenced Lady in White on this pod. We have a couple times, actually. Because Colleeny was too was scared of it. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, sorry. Let's go on. We are a million hours in, and we are in a chapter and a half in. Yeah, we're fine. You're going to have to edit this all out. I'm well aware. It was body one of the bodyguard Kens, right? Uh, Lord Wraith had two pairs of twin bodyguards. Mm-hmm. And the boys he called <clears throat> Kens, and the, the, lady, the lady guards he called Barbies. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the Kens, and he's got a shotgun, and he's 
already shot Harry. He shot Murphy. And he's trying to shoot Laura. Bastards. What a douche. As Laura dart, tries to dart out of the way, his gun tracks over to Inari. And he's not trying to shoot Inari, but he's trying to shoot Laura. But Laura you know, runs away. And before he pulls the trigger, Bobby tackles Inari out of the way. He gets hit. Inari gets her shoulder or collarbone smashed. Um, it's a cute little romantic moment. Um and Ken just looks at just he's just trying to light them all up. He ends up pointing the gun at Justine, and she has no clue what's going on because she is completely fucking out of it. But Murphy pops up into a kneeling stance and just lights him up. I love the line here where he says, Bodyguard Ken's head jerked to one side, as if someone had just asked him a particularly startling question. And for good measure, Murphy shoots him another three times. And he tells Murphy that the coat stopped it, and it's not, you know, it's not lined with Kevlar, but it's magic. Hurts like hell, but it'll be all right. And they go over and they look at Bobby. Bobby got shot. His shoulder and arm were shredded. But, and Inari, like I said, Inari's arm was busted. But there's gunshots and there's a fatality. And so Murphy, you know, goes back to, I'm a, I'm a cop. That's who I am. And she's worried about this shit. Laura, ever, Clark, ever clever Laura, says, it was an accident. The boy and Inari were looking at my father's collection of guns. She slipped and fell. The shotgun went off. What about the body? Murphy demanded. What body? Laura shrugged. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. Um, and Murphy ends up, because she's fussy about it, because she's a cop, it's who she is. Um, you know, she ends up squeezing a favor out of Laura. Laura says she'll owe her a favor if she lets... Mur- she, Laura will owe Murphy a favor if Murphy lets Laura just dispose of the body and be done with it. So, even though that wasn't what Murphy's goal was, it's a nice little benefit. But she um, also says that he's the only one who's committed a crime, who's done something wrong here. Yeah, she appeals to her reason. Her reason sure. and morality. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. But also, she, like I said, she, she, it's, it's nice to have the potential lady of the Oh, yeah. To owe you a favor. And Laura has to go back to the house to deal with the ambulance. So Murphy and Harry have to figure out where the deeps are. We know it's a cave somewhere north of the house. They're going to head out and try to track it down. And it's a great back and just a great one line here where Murphy is worried that Lara's going to turn on him. And Harry says, she'll back the winning horse. So it better be you and me. <laughs> Can you handle the vigilante thing? Get on the bike, bitch. <laughs> she smiled at me, nervous, but game. But game. Mm-hmm. Neither of them put on a helmet. What can I say? I like to live dangerously. <laughs> so they're zipping, zipping through the yard, tearing up the lawn on the Harley, which I kind of love. It's also sort of a fuck you moment. I have a feeling that yeah, Murphy's driving right over, the, right over the lawn to say fuck you. Fuck you, Ray! Exactly. 
and a car is driving towards them. And the, no crap, no time to turn, she says. And the bodyguard gets out of the window, car window, and sits on it and lifts a gun. So Harry grabs his staff, says, we need to go faster. I felt her shoulders set as she turned back to the front and stomped on gears with one foot, and the old Harley roared as it dug into the road with ferocious power and shot ahead at terrifying speed. Flames spat from the shape ahead of us, and bullets hit the road, kicking up sparks and bits of gravel with a series of whistling whiplash sounds that beat the sound of exploding shots to us by almost a second. So Harry uses his staff. He focuses on his staff. It's meant to simply assist with the redirection of forces I could use to call wind, to bend steel bars, and to channel lightning. I had used my staff to erect barriers of force, disrupt hostile magic, and in a pinch to beat bad guys about the head and shoulders. Uh. I I took the tool, the trademark and icon of a wizard, and couched it under my arm like a lance the tip extending past Murphy's bike. I reached out for my will and gathered up power, feeding it into the rune-carved wood. He tells Murphy to go faster and to not turn, just go straight on into these motherfuckers. No vehicle without a roll cage had any business going that fast, but I needed it to have enough force to survive. Even wizards cannot escape the consequence of physics. You can call up a storm of fire, but it won't burn without fuel and air. So this kind of like we're back into the reminding us that magic exists in the real world with real world rules. Basically physics and things like that. Force still equals mass times acceleration, no matter how big your magic wand might be. Me plus Murphy plus or Harley didn't mass anywhere near what the car and the people in it did. I could give us an advantage, but even if with the staff, I could stretch the rules only so far. Our mass wasn't going to change, and that meant we needed all the acceleration we could get. So he starts channeling all this energy, in, and it creates this blue and purple fire ahead of him, it, like one of the space shuttles on reentry. You've got to be kidding me, Murphy screamed. The oncoming car got closer. The bodyguard started shooting again, then dropped the gun and slid back into the car in a panic, strapping on his seatbelt. This is insane, Murphy yelled, but the Harley kept going faster. The oncoming headlights loomed up in blinding brilliance. The other driver leaned on the horn. Murphy screamed in terror and challenge in response. I shouted, Fazare! and unleashed my will. It went rocketing down through the staff. Again, its runes and sigils flared into hellish light, and the flickering corona of fire ahead of us blazed into an incandescent cloud. Murphy's bike didn't waver. Neither did the bodyguard's car. There was a flash of light and thunder as the forced lance struck the car, and between the reckless speed of Murphy's hog and my will, physics landed firmly, our side of the equation was bigger than theirs. The car's hood and front bumper crumpled as if they'd hit a telephone pool. The windows shattered inward as a force I'd redirected lashed through the car. I screamed as glass and steel started flying, and with every scrap of strength that I had, I willed an angle into the lance, deflecting the car. Its right front wheel flew up off the ground, and the rest of the car followed, flipping up into the air in a lateral roll. 
So the motherfuckers are dead. Mm-hmm. And the car hadn't exploded, but the car was on its side, steaming, glass and debris everywhere, airbags deployed, and I could see a, a pair of crumpled forms inside. Neither of them were moving. And Murphy's laughing hysterically. And she says, I think you were right about the vibrator thing. Just a little bit of an eyebrow. And so they get to the cottage, caretaker's cottage, and they're trying to figure out how to find it. He says, yeah, I've never heard of a ritual spell that didn't involve fire and some chanting and some smelly incense and stuff. Christ, Dresden, we don't have time to wander around the woods in the dark hoping to smell our way to the cave. Can't you find it some other way? Or isn't there some other way you could find it? With magic? Iffy. I'm not sure what I could do to look for a cave. Murphy frowned. This is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, he's... The last one came in awfully strong and fat about the curse. The last one came in awfully strong and fast, and it changes everything. I can swing at a slow-pitch softball and hit it every time. Not even the best hitter can hit 500 against Major League Pitching. And so he kind of talks about how they must have done a blood sacrifice because that will increase the power of the ritual. And that's the fear right now is that he's got Thomas and he's going to bleed him to kill Harry. And so Murphy says, all right, you circle left, I'll circle right, and we'll stick for the cave then. And then Harry realizes he's got the amulet. He can use the amulet to link to Thomas's amulet. If he hasn't, Murphy said, he will. After last night, he won't take it off. How do you know that? Because I know, I said. I held my right palm up and tried to focus upon it. I found the link, the channel through which my mother's latent enchantment had contacted Thomas and me, and I poured some of my will into it, trying to spread it out. Because I believe it. And then that guy Wraith shows up, has Murphy with a knife. That guy. And he's, you're right about Thomas keeping his amulet with him. I found it around his neck when I was cutting his shirt off to have him chained down. I was fairly certain you would judge such an obviously linked item to be too hazardous to employ in any location magic. But on the off chance I was wrong, I kept my own location location spell going. I've been watching you since you arrived. And so he basically puts both of them in a, in, in a inferior position. He says, to your feet, wizard, I'm going to show you the deeps. Kill me with that entropy curse from point blank range, eh? Precisely, Wraith responded. Gaining you what? I asked. Immense personal satisfaction. Funny, I said. You seem to be a lot of talk and not much do. I've heard about all kinds of things you are capable of. Enslaving women you feed on, killing with a kiss, superhuman badassness. But you aren't doing any of it. The White Council has taken a few shots at you, but when they quit, you don't go gunning for anyone, I continued. And hey, what with you being invincible and all, there's got to be a reason for that. You must have been approached by others. I bet you got some pretty juicy offers. And I just can't square that with someone who allows a tart like Trixie Vixen to snap at him over the phone like you did today. Wraith's white face, like she did to you today. Wraith's white face went whiter with rage. I would not say such things if I were in your position, wizard. 
You're going to kill me anyway, I said. Hell, you've you've pretty much got to. I mean, we're at war after all. And there you are, all immune to magic. Must be a lot of pressure from the Reds for the White Court to get off its ass and do something. Makes me wonder why you didn't just, wham, kiss a death me back there. Maybe get it on tape or something so you could show it off. Or hell, why even sock the kiss of death on Murphy there just to shut me up? But I'm thinking my mother's death curse hit you where it hurt. There's a parasite called a tick. Lives in the Ozarks. And it is nigh invulnerable. But it isn't unkillable. Hard to squash, sure. But it can still be pierced with the right weapon. Or it can be smothered. I smiled at Rafe. And it can starve. That's why you've been old news. Mom said she arranged it so you would suffer. And since the night you killed her, you haven't been able to feed. Have you? Haven't been able to top top off the tank of vampire superpower gas. So no kisses of death. No assaults on wizards. No direct assaults on Thomas when a couple of death plots failed. You even had to have help, have willing help for this operation because there was no more enslaving willing Enslaving women to your will. Insolent. Utterly insolent. You are like her. I don't think Wraith realizes how much of a a compliment that is to Harry at this point, it seems like. Yeah, no, I like that. You've been nothing but talk since my mom got finished with you. Living for years, talking a good game, and hoping that no one noticed what you weren't doing. Hoping Hoping no one figured out that one of your brood mares gelded you. That it was terrifying living like that. And then we learn that the reason Wraith is doing this is because you aren't the only one who worked out what your mother did to me and how. So instead, you and your brother are going to die tonight. Your deaths will end your mother's paltry little binding along with her bloodline. His eyes flashed to Murphy and he said with a smile, and then perhaps... Something to eat. I am, after all, very hungry. Starving. And and with that, Murphy still pinned on his knife. Don't miss the symbolism there, Doc Freud. He led us through 30 yards of trees and down a rough slope into cold and darkness. I mean, that's a lot going there. But I love how Harry's just riffing here. Then like, oh, so this is what it is, bitch. Huh. And then Rafe's like, eh, fucker. I figured it out too. But he had a little bit more time to figure it out than Harry did. Oh, they had the same amount of time, but for a good chunk of it, Harry was a toddler. <laughs> well, well, Harry didn't know any of it. Harry didn't know, you know. I know. I was mostly kidding because if it happened, Harry died in childbirth. So Harry's mom died in childbirth. That's what I meant. <laughs> That's my crackpot theory. Harry died in childbirth, and this is actually his mom. It's all a dream. Used to read Word Up magazine. Tom Peppa heavy D up in the limousine. <clears throat> Sorry. Where were we at? Chapter 39. Oh, I love this one because it's like three sentences. <laughs> Did you say something about the stabbing her? That he had her at knife point. I didn't say that he stabbed her, though. I didn't talk about that. Oh. I do like the line at the end of that chapter there mm-hmm. where he actually stabs Murphy you know, yeah. to, to make him shut the fuck up. 
So, so he's not only threatening her that he's going to eat her, he's also physically injuring her. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got a knife, you know, an inch deep in her or whatever. But when at the end of that chapter where they, you know, they're heading down into the cave and mm-hmm. Murphy still pinned on his knife. Don't miss the symbolism there, Doc Freud. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just yeah. Like I did read that. Sorry. Well, I asked if you were reading that. Oh, but just that she is on his knife. Not that he actually stabbed her. Oh, well, that's she's pinned on his knife because his knife is inside of her. Oh. Either way. They head down into the deeps. Bodyguard Barbie keeps her gun on him. <laughs> I like that he compares the expertise of Bob, you know, to Trixie Vixen. Um, mm-hmm. She's she's out of easy reach. Right? If uh, if he jumped her, she would shoot. Me. <laughs> <laughs> Murph, how you doing? Feeling a little a little repressed, fulfilling this <laughs> hostage stereotype, and it's pissing me off. That's good. Defiance adds a great deal of enjoyment to feeding Miss Murphy. It is, after all, a great deal more pleasurable to conquer than to rule. And defiant women can be conquered again and again before they break. Pause for vomit. (laughs) (sighs) I do like when Harry says, how's your side? A little prick like this? It's nothing. <laughs> right. There's a lot of dick jokes in this book, and I kind of am here for it. Yes. I mean, so we're clear. Body shaming, not okay. No, body shaming, no. Body shaming the sexual abu- sexually abusive monster. Funny. Right? Yeah. See the, line, the line in the sand there is drawn. <laughs> yes. Telling a rapist he's got a tiny dick. Funny. Telling yeah. a normal human being or making fun of them. Tell, telling people that isn't a problem. What would I know about that? Hey, oh, call me. Um, it's adorable. I am like, <laughs> it's a great Ricky Gervais. But, oh, whatever. You really that one gal. He's talking about, like, all the time. It's like, he's, he's like, you know me, I got, I, I am down there. I'm, I, I'm, it's fine. I'm I'm fine. It's like, you know, like, you know, it's like, it's fine. <laughs> Just like for minutes in a row, he's like talking about how it's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it's like, it's, it's totally fine. Like, like it's not big. It's not small. It's, it's fine. Like it's still, it's okay. <sighs> Back before Richie Gervais started punching down. Mm. It's like not hard to not punch down. It's yeah, definitely like really easy. To not like make fun of the people with the highest suicide rate in the country, but I digress. <clears throat> and I this chapter is very short, and it's it's basically just Lord Wraith trying to take over control of Murphy's mind, and it's icky to its core. Like this is just an icky chapter. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a yikesy way. I mean, this is a bad guy treated as a bad guy being a, a sexual predator, being yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. Right. 
and like it's 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 all i mean it's 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 gross you know he's talking about how like part of the white court's power is they make you feel pleasure mm-hmm. and in doing that you are a slave to that and then you're a slave to them by the transitive property right um and so he's trying to break her and take over her mind because even though he can't feed he still has the white court powers of seduction and kind of it's not mind control but it's it's mind melding basically yeah and you end up clamoring the end result is the same as mind control right you you control them by controlling their physical pleasure and they they you know like we've seen in the past with justine she's addicted to it right so he's he's basically breaking this defiant woman as he mentioned above right um and You know, Harry says, if he got the full measure of his powers back, what he would do to Murphy in retaliation for what my mother had done to him would be worse than death. The damnedest thing was, there wasn't much I could do about it. Not because I was chained up, held at gunpoint, and probably going to die. Though I had, had to admit, that might make things somewhat difficult. <laughs> but because this wasn't a fight that someone else could win for Murphy. The real battle was inside of her, her strength of will against her own well-founded fears. Even if I did ride in on a white horse to save her, it would mean only that she would be forced to question her own strength and integrity thereafter, and it would be nothing more than a slow death of her self-reliance and strength of will. It was something I could not save her from, and I had asked her to face it. This isn't the first time in this book, in this book alone, that he has spoken about her need to handle things mm-hmm. and her strength. And him trusting her with with that strength. Yeah. Which for him is a lot, considering he always feels the need to rescue everybody. And and this is also, I think, magnified by her experience with a nightmare in grave peril. Yeah. Right, like she's already had her mind violated and in some ways broken. Like this yeah. is this is a fucking difficult spot for his best friend. And he knows he can't do anything about it but support her and you know, but like he he can't solve this, and this is the antithesis of what Harry usually is, where he wants always wants to be the white knight. He always yeah. wants to save women in danger. And he recognizes here that he even if he does that, that means Wraith's gonna win. Yeah. Because Murphy will have been defeated. Um you know, he says Murphy was in real danger of dying that night, even if she kept on breathing and her heart kept on beating. But she would have to be the one to save herself. The best thing I could do was nothing. Dot, dot, dot. Hell's bells. Irony blows. Yeah. It. I mean, doing nothing for Harry is really hard because everything we've seen about him is that he he is an actor. Yeah, he's, he's not a act- cerebral guy on no. the side. <laughs> That's not no, who he no, is and not. what he does. Um, and this, I just... 
This entertains me. I'd been in a few caves that were headquarters for dark magic and those who trafficked in it. None of them had been warm. None of them had been pleasant. And none of them had been professionally decorated <laughs> until now. <laughs> I just love that. It's just. Wraiths don't do things by half. I guess not. It's pretty spectacular. Well, it's subtle, I said to no one in particular, but I like it. Sort of like the king and I meets harem honeys and Sarah. Sarah, how do you say that word? Seraglio? Seraglio? Hang on, where are we? Harem honeys and Seraglio? Seraglio? I would say Seraglio. Seraglio, okay. But well, I, it's. But I think that sounds like a porn movie. That's what it's supposed to be. Well, it's subtle. I said well, to no I'm going to have to look that up just for podcast sake. But that's the, the reference is that it's because he owns the porn companies. Yeah, well, no, I know, but I'm just going to. Yeah, the things I do for this pod. Oh, my goodness. Weirdo. Well, it's subtle, I said, to no one in particular. But like I said, but I like it. Sort of the king and I meets harem honeys and Saragolio sluts, too. And, of course, Wraith totally ignores him. But, I mean, he's going to be snarky. He's in danger. So, of course, he's going to be snarky. And Harry is manacled to a wall. Bobby Barty Gar- Bobby Bar- ah, I got it. It's an imperial harem. That's what I figured. Harem honeys. And that's what I figured. Uh, body, bodyguard Bob, Barbie. That's really hard you, to you say. You finish this chapter. I'll do more digging. Uh, manacles and, or padlocks his manacles to the wall. And uh, she confirms with Wraith that it is 1139. Ah, good. Still, ter- still time. And one of the areas is a pile of pillows. And Harry realizes that they'd been strewn around a little raised platform. The platform was a circle, perhaps 10 feet across, and inside it, thaumaturgic triangle, an equilateral shape within the ring of a circle used in most ritual magic because it was easier for amateurs to draw than a freaking triangle than a pentacle or a star of Solomon. Wraith says, Wizard, I believe you have met my assistants. And there is Madge and the lovely Trixie Vixen, who is stoned out of her fucking mind. She had the flickering look of someone on far too many drugs and used to it. So she's an addict. Then he asks, well, what about wifey number two? She was far too eager to please and melodramatic about it to boot. We learn that she attempted to poison Harry via blow dart. <laughs> and she also was responsible for almost killing Inari. And so he says, so you sacrificed for her for the curse this morning, I spat. No, he didn't, Madge said in a quiet, rather chillingly conversational tone. I did. The little bitch. I'd been dreaming about something like that for years. They're wrong about revenge, you know. All the movies. I found it quite fulfilling and rewarding from an emotional standpoint. I helped, Trixie protested. I helped kill her. Bullshit, I said. You were right there holding a gun on me when Lucille died, you you self-deluded, half-witted schlong jockey. That might be my favorite insults. Ever. I don't know. Probably ever. <laughs> and. I didn't love it. I thought it was hilarious. Um. Because she's a baddie. She's an asshole. She's a shitty. She is self-deluded and half-witted. Oh, she is all those things. Sex work. That, I mean, I don't know. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Again, not the worst thing ever. I just, in the moment, do I get it? Sure. But, like, think of that, like, changing, very slightly changing around her character. And you could replace some very problematic words there for schlong jockey. That's creative. 
So Madge slapped her. Points for creativity, for sure. Sorry. So she's bitching and complaining, and Madge slaps her, and she says, if you told the police his name instead of forgetting it for your pills and needles, the wizard would be in a cell right now. What the fuck does it matter? Trixie snarled, not looking up. He's had it now. It didn't make any any difference. And Madge gives a bit of a show. Orbius! And this black brush, a fusion of a fresh cow patty and a dew-speckled cobweb slapped across Trixie's face, and she can't pull it off. She can't talk. And... It rendered her screams all but inaudible. I love Yeah. That. So Harry realizes that Madge knew. That's why her hands were filled when he met her. And... Or he said, of course, drawing you into a position of vulnerability was one of the points of the entire exercise. It was time to have flights of angels sing my dear son to his rest, and you and he had become entirely too friendly. I had assumed he was feeding from you and had you under his influence. But after I listened to the security tape from the portrait gallery, I was delighted. Both of Margaret's sons. I finally will escape her ridiculous little binding. Remove a troublesome thorn in my side. And slay the wizard that has a full quarter of the Red Court quaking in their flesh masks. Restore a rebellious employee to acceptable controls. And now, in addition to all of that, I have acquired some within, someone with influence among the local authorities. That line, it was time to have flights of angels sing my dear son to his rest. He's just dramatic is so over-the-top absurd, and mm-hmm. I love it a million times. <laughs> He's just dramatic, and that's Exactly. Yeah, but this is his show, right? Why would you do this in this, like, well-orchestrated, well-orchestrated, well-designed cave? Like, this is his his stage. Like, mm-hmm. he's always, he's a performer, right? It's like all the white court intrigue and bullshit you're always putting on a show, even if you're in the backgrounds, you know? Like, I just... I love that line. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it, it is, it, it's, but it's very much, Wraith is very dramatic. Exactly, yes. And that's this whole thing. I mean, this, just this room is drama. Everything is very dramatic. Um, and so he has Murphy's take off for shoes and socks, and he f- tosses Trixie Vixen into the hole. She's still alive. What? She couldn't scream as she fell to her death, but she tried. That's just awful. Oof, oof, oof. And Wraith dusted his hands against each other. Where was I? Taunting the wizard with how he has been manipulated from the beginning. And then Madge says, and then she you know, says, I need to start conjuring to get the timing right. Then they hear sirens. Police, asked Barbie. Ambulance. What happened? Who called them? Barbie had no idea. Gee, Wraith, I said. I wonder why the EMTs have shown up. I wonder if the police are coming along, too. Don't you wonder that? The Lord of the White Court glared at me, then turned to walk towards the ridiculously elaborate throne. I suppose it doesn't matter one way or the other. Probably not, I agreed. Unless Inari's involved. And I love that he is manipulating Wraith, as Wraith has manipulated him into this situation. Yup. What have you done to my child? Did something happen to your child? I hope everything's all right. But how will we know? I guess you should just get on with the cursing, I guess. And he tells Madge to continue and that he'll be back. He tells Barbie to keep his gun on Dresden and shoot him if he tries to escape. All reasonable. 
And Madge continues her twisty chant. I love that. And he checks on Thomas and then checks on Murph. Murph, don't fall apart on me. He's the bad guy. And he's way sexy while he does it. That's his bag. He's supposed to be able to get to you. I couldn't stop him, she said in a numb voice. That's okay. I couldn't stop him myself either. She met my eyes for a second and then slumped to the floor. Leave me alone, Mr. Dresden. Hmm. And then he starts hollering at Barbie. Uh, you're a person. You're human. I'm human. We should be working together here against the vampires, right? Nothing. I get more conversation from Mr. Hey, you. Ow. You demented U.S. Army surplus blow-up doll. I'm talking to you. Doesn't respond. Excuse me. Did you hear me, bitch? At this rate, I'm going to have to blow you up, too, just like I did the bodyguard Ken's and your twin. Now real fury filled her eyes. She cocked her gun and opened her mouth as if she were actually going to speak to me, but I never got to hear what she was going to say. Murphy made a soundless, barefooted run, leapt and drove a flying sidekick into the back of bodyguard Barbie's neck. Whiplash was far too mild a word to describe what happened to the woman's head, Whiplash happens in friendly, healthy things, like automobile accidents. Murphy meant the kick to be lethal, and that made it worse than just about any car wreck. There was a crackling sound, and Barbie dropped to the floor. Jeez. The gun never went off. Holy fuck, so, Murphy's a badass. So metal. So metal. Took you long enough, I said to Murphy. I was going to run out of actual sentences and just start screaming incoherently. That's what happens when your vocabulary count is lower than your bowling average. Me not like woman with smart mouth. Woman shut smart mouth and get me free or no wild monkey love for you. You had me scared, I said, until you called me Mr. Dresden. I almost believed he'd gotten to you. Between you and me, I'm not sure he didn't. I wasn't doing much acting, Harry. You made a good call. He underestimated me, but it was too close. Let's leave. He says, we got to stay a little longer. Because of the ritual. And we learn that Madge can't do anything until she's done with the ritual. Because if she makes a mistake in the ritual, there's going to be some black backlash. Maybe it wouldn't touch us, or maybe it would, but it sure as hell would kill everyone in the circle. Thomas is in the circle. Can we mess up the can we mess up the right? Could. But to quote Kincaid, thus kablooey, thus death. If we interrupt the ritual or if she screws it up, things go south. But if we don't stop her, she kills Thomas. Well, yeah. What do we do? We jump Wraith. Get back to where he threw you. When he comes in again, we'll take him down and trade trade him for Thomas. Won't breaking the circle screw up the ritual? Not the outer circle. The circle is mostly there to help her have the juice for the ritual. And, but breaking the triangle, that will screw up the ritual. Yep, and kill her. But we aren't going to break the triangle. And he's seeing this stuff so Madge can hear him. We're going to- I love this scene. Yeah. Sorry. This, this whole conversation that they're having about Madge, about what, what, you know, the circle and the triangle, because like the, the tension here where she sees them, she hears them. She knows you you talk all the time about the cinematics, right? Like, this is like, I can just visualize this. Like she's like sweating her balls off. Like Mm -hmm. can't, she can't stop chanting. Yeah. But she also hears every word they're saying and knows she's so fucked right now. Yeah. And she witnessed she, what had happened. Yeah. It's it just like this whole scene is so good and so tense. 
even though it's like a lighthearted like conversation about ways and means, um, a pleasant conversation about ways and means, as Professor D would say. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sorry. Okay. No, you're good. Um, but he basically he's, he's telling Murphy what's going on. He's telling us what's gro- going on, and he's letting Madge know that he knows he knows how to kill her, and. As long as someone dies on schedule, whatever is behind the ritual shouldn't mind. Otherwise, all I have to do is kick one of these candles over or smudge the lines of the triangle, then back up to watch her die. And I think Madge is a survivor. She walks, Thomas is fine, and Wraith isn't giving anyone any more trouble. She'll run, Murphy said. Let her. She can hide from the she could run from the wardens, but she can't hide. The White Council is going to have something to say to her, some things to say to her about killing people with magic. Pointed things. Cutting things. Taunting a spell slinger must be a really fun game since people like you and Wraith keep playing it. <laughs> and Harry pulls out his sword cane. And she says, I can't believe Wraith let you keep that. The guard didn't seem very good at employing her initiative. And he didn't specifically mention losing my cane. Don't think he noticed it. He was too busy. He was pretty busy gloating, and I was chained up. And she explains to Murphy about the stolen reserve of stolen life injury that they can tap into. They can be stronger, faster, recover from injuries, forcibly manipulate the sensations of police lieutenants, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's probably safe to assume that Lord Wraith has a big honk and take of re- reserve energy. We'd have to get him to run out of gas in order to get him long-term. Yep, can we do that? Don't think so, but we can force him to push himself pretty hard. So we almost beat him? That's the plan? And so she says, we're going to die. I grinned and stepped back to the ring where Wraith had me chained up. I stood there in the same pose. I'd been held prisoner and held the shackles behind my back as if they might still be attached. And Wraith returns. And he's asking where the guard is. He asks Madge, where did she go? Madge looks at Murphy with a significant look. Madge should have warned Wraith about me. If he'd blown off old Ebenezer's lethal magic, he had defenses out the wazoo. I didn't even try to blast away with him with power. So he swings the shackles, get him in the face, and mayhem ensues. Murphy shoots him, and... Mayhem ensues. And mayhem mayhem ensues, basically. (laughs) Wraith gets fight, you know, Wraith, bing, bing, boom. And then Wraith turns out all the lights. Madge continues her chant. And Thomas's bruised body twitched as he was looking around, eyes wide beyond the gag in his behind the gag in his mouth. And he's pulling on the chains, but they're not giving. Harry, where is he? I have no idea, I said, keeping the point of the sword low. Can he see in the dark? Um, I'll tell you in a minute. Oh, she said. Crap. Love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Oh, I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> You're right. Oh, Jesus. I can indeed see you, wizard. I must admit, a brute attack was not what I expected of you. You don't really have a very good idea what kind of man I am, do you? I had assumed the White Council training you would mold you a bit more 
predictably. I was certain you'd have some kind of complex magical means of dealing with me without bloodshed. Blood washes out with enough soda water. I have no trouble with the thought of spilling more of yours. It's sort of pink, anyway. <laughs> and the next line I love, that was just for fun, but the next line is great. Murphy was not talking, which meant that she was acting. So Murphy's either trying to court figure out where Wraith is by his voice, or trying to figure out where Harry is by Harry's voice. Either way, it was to our advantage for the conversation to continue. Right. So he tries, you know, tries to make a deal, threatens with his death curse, mm-hmm. and they trade offers, and both of neither of them are reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. Harry's Harry's is you get the fuck out of here, let Thomas live, we're good. And then Wraith's is you run and I won't kill and I'll kill the officer. Um if you don't run, I'll keep her. Something's being worse than death. Ugh. And what's her trick? Uh Madge is just so obviously, you know, nothing happens. Madge finishes up the curse and she says, While we wait here, O hunter of the shadows, we who yearn for your shadow to fall upon our enemy, ye who cry out in need for thy strength, O lord of slowest terror, may your right arm come to us. Send unto us your captain of destruction, master craftsman of death. Let now our need become the traveler's road, the vessel. For he who walks behind. Fuck. Hell's holy stars and freaking stones shit bells. (laughs) We've soft met he who walks behind in this series. Way back in Stormfront, we learned that that was the creature, the being that Justin DeMorn sent after Harry after he ran away. Harry is kind of spiritually scarred from that battle. Um, One of the three-eyed junkies back in Stormfront mentioned He Who Walks Behind. Mm -hmm. And we don't know much about He Who Walks Behind quite yet. We do know that he is a serious badass. Mm -hmm. We also know that he and Harry have history and And we also know harry has um nightmares about him correct he has nightmares about a lot of things (laughs) oh yeah understandable i i kid i kid i kid um and we learned that is who was operating the cosmic vending machine he who walks behind is the power behind uh this spell what's interesting I wonder if this wording is the same. It probably is the same every time she's done this spell, right? Mm-hmm. Madge has now done the spell half a dozen times. Yeah. But where she says, accept this offering of power, make known to us your hand that we might dispatch him against our mutual foe, Harry Dresden. Mutual foe. Mm-hmm. I, w- I wonder if that's just the phrasing or if that was specific to Harry. Um, I feel like it's it's specific in this event. It feels like it, right? But also, 
make known to us your hand. And she talks about your instrument. So he who walks behind is this badass that Harry's terrified of, but also not the top of the food chain. Right? Mm -hmm. So that, again, adds layers of scariness and confusion. But And, um, and the fact that, you know, he doesn't go away. And the fact that Justin sent him after him and all of these like layers of yeah long-termness and it hits close. Probably just a probably probably just a coincidence that Justin sent him after him and Madge is sending him after him, right? None of these things can be any deeper meaning, I'm sure. Um Harry tells Murphy to run. Get out of here, run now, or right now, run. But she doesn't. She jumps into the circle, holding the keys that she'd taken from the bodyguard. She breaks the circle, which destroys the working, and she, she tries to unlock Thomas. Mm -hmm. She starts working all the keys. She breaks them in one of the bracelets. And then Madge, even though it's not for the spell anymore, she's holding the knife because she was going to kill Thomas for the spell. Because the circle was broken, she's just going to stab Thomas for the funsies. Which, granted, fun to stab <laughs> with. Stabbing white court vampires is like how I spend most of my Thursday nights. And then Harry reaches out for Lord Wraith with his cane and his magic and feels nothing. Not just empty air, but nothing. A cold and somehow hungry emptiness mm -hmm. filled the space where he should have been. He'd felt something like it before. When he'd been near a moat of one of the deadliest substances that any world of flesh or spirit had ever known. He couldn't touch him. The void around him was so absolute. And that is a conversation we're going to be having. Okay. Unless you have something to say right now. No, I actually, uh, um, I'm, I'm, is this, have we seen this before or is this something he's experienced before? Cause I don't remember this. We have, we're going to okay. talk about it. We're going to talk about it more. Cause this is a interesting conversation for analysis. I think. Um, Lord Wraith gets jealous that Madge got to stab Thomas. And again, I cannot stress this enough. Go stab a white court vampire. Most fun you can have with your pants on. And so Lord Wraith wants to stab Thomas also. And Harry sticks out his cane and blocks it. This is a cool, like, Jackie Chan. Mm -hmm. Just kind of imagine it, like, style action sequence where, where we, got the, the cape, like, we got the candles and the, the chains and, like, trying to block and move and, like... Yeah, there Where you have, like, props, you know, as they're fighting, you know, they're fucking up Thomas, but he's also protecting himself and blocking mm -hmm. himself. And Harry throws <laughs> like a like a comedic spell. Did you see the new mm. Doctor Strange? Mm. Madness. Yes, I did. Oh, I, you saw it with me. I think so. Yes, because he in the cherry for like the cherry uh -huh. grove. I said to my sister, at some point they're gonna make Scarlet Witch a bad guy, and it's gonna be so badass. I can't wait. And then immediately she turned into a bad guy, like immediately. Mm -hmm. after that. <laughs> yeah. But one of my best, you know, moments in 
movie predictions. I didn't even think it was going to happen in this one. I thought she would be like an Avengers level threat because she's like a fucking crazy badass. Yeah, she is. Either way. Um, and also, wonderful. Wonderful. Top three Olsen sister. <laughs> but um, what was my point here? Don't know. <laughs> Hang on. Um, oh, the scene where, where Bruce, he makes Bruce Campbell punch himself or like, squirt himself with mustard and like attack himself for a week or whatever. That just felt like this scene where he throws the keys at him and then magically uh-huh. ha- has the keys go back and then him in the face again and go back yeah. and him in the face again and go back. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself <laughs> with, with, with magic and keys, which is just funny. Um, and I obviously getting keys thrown at your face would do a ton of damage, but I just, the, the like physical comedy of this thing, again, the cinematic, uh, like this would be so fucking good in re- live action. <laughs> and as he's blasting him with the keys over and over and over and over and over and over, he who walks behind or some cloud of demon. It's he who walks behind. Mm-hmm. Some cloud of demonic power invades Madge's body and starts like just like savagely just tearing her apart with spikes and just. I can't really picture this so much as I just know it's atrocious. Yeah. And I mean, she, you get, you know, live by the entropy, entropy curse, die by the entropy curse, I guess, but it's awful. And then just when we think things are starting to turn around, Thomas Wraith gets his neck snapped by his father. Yeah. Harry, you know, after all the commotion ends up basically force pulling mm-hmm. Murphy's gun to his hand and shoots Wraith a couple times. It it's just not enough. He's laughing. He's bleeding, but and mm-hmm. Harry takes this opportunity to hidden camera punk Lord Wraith <laughs> because I know he's being clever and thinking about Lara here but he's, it, it's also real right like mm-hmm. where this he was my blood he was my only family family nothing but an accident of birth random consequence of desire and response family is meaningless it is nothing but the drive of blood to further its own. It is utterly insignificant. Your children don't think that. They think family's important. That line was for Lara. Yeah. The first one, I think he's literally just raging out, but he's still in control enough to recognize the opportunity. Yeah. And I then... See. Lord Wraith says, of course they think that. I have trained them to do so. It's a simple and convenient way to control them. And nothing more? Nothing more. There's no reason this has to hurt you. Put the sword down. I'll pass. You can't have much more left in you. <laughs> you know, and, and he goes on talking about how what his mother did to him. You, know, you had no reserves. You had to play it safe. Um, you couldn't feed and he had to live a lie because nobody could know this exactly because he would immediately lose all of his power 
It's very clever, this. Mm-hmm. Quite. <laughs> I love the back and forth where, you know, he says, it was an annoyance. But I never told anyone what Margaret's curse did to me, Dresden. How did you know? My mother told me about it. Your mother is dead, boy. You're immune to magic, too. Guess she just doesn't have a lot of respect for the rules. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Wraith does his evil mastermind. I'm going to make you beg for me for death. And my first meal in decades is going to be the little police girl. Mm-hmm. At which point, all the lights in the cavern come up, restoring the place to its melodramatic, but perfectly adequate lighting. <laughs> and Lara steps in and he asks what she's doing and she says, writhing in disillusionment. You don't mm-hmm. love me, dearest Papa. Me, your little Lara, most dutiful daughter. You know better and have for a century. My head knew, Father, but my heart had hoped otherwise. And he, I mean, he had just out and out said that he doesn't care about her. Mm-hmm. And so she decides he's weakened. She knows all of, you know, he admitted that he's, he can't feed. She knows how weak he is. And here she makes a choice. She goes all in for Harry. Well, she goes all in for Lara. For Lara. Let's, let's be frank with that. Lara has never once in her life gone all in. For anyone but Lara. Oh, yeah. But a side effect is that Harry gets to benefit and live. And he grabs Thomas and they take Thomas out as she gives him a taste of his own medicine. We know that he has for centuries raped and enslaved his children. And I think the implication here is that she's going to do the exact same. Um, where we leave her, however, is she's taken all her clothes off and she's kind of glowing this silvery white glow. Her hunger is pitting itself against his. And Lord Wraith's hunger is hungry. Hasn't fed in decades. Mm-hmm. And so she is overpowering his body and his mind. Harry's trying to shield his thoughts from her seductive power. But his pants were five sizes too small. I mean, that's a little bit much, Harry. Come on, Harry. I mean, let's, you're, you're, I got... you're giving yourself a little bit, a uh, little bit more there. Oh, you mean the five sizes? <laughs> Come on, Harry. Again, he's writing it for people in universe. I mean, you know, um, don't sell yourself short. Yeah, she tells him to take Murphy and Thomas, and she says, "Father and I are going to renegotiate the terms of our relationship." It promises to be interesting, and you might not be able to tear yourselves away once I begin. Gross. And so he hustles out. On the way out, however, we get one last terrifying memory. Where the spiny, gross corpse of Madge sits up. The ravaged, shapeless face forms into the features of he who walks behind. And it says, I am returned, mortal man, and I remember thee. Thou and I, we have unfinished business between us. 
and the corpse deflates with a bubbling hiss. That would be traumatic. No, thank you. No, thank no, you. No, thank you. I'm going to go back. I know, yeah. I know, I'm going to t- take a nap. I think I'm going to take a nap instead. But the other thing is, prior to that memory, he says, I remember three more things from that night in the deeps. And this is the, he doesn't do this often, but we have discussed this, where this is the, these are memories. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And and it, it's very much that is the reiterating that this is not a concurrent narration. This is him Correct. telling the Correct. story. So it that reminds us that he might not be remembering everything properly, too. Oh, certainly. Yeah, it adds that it's already first person narrator is already unreliable to an extent. Yeah. But, but this adds, adds a yeah, whole other dimension. Exactly. When he's writing it down or re, retell, relaying this tale in the future sometime later um who knows how far into the future Mm -hmm. but it is interesting also adds even more weight to the soul gaze and to anything with the sight because that has to be accurate yes unless he's just lying i guess but yeah but his memories in that are accurate exactly (laughs) whether he's relaying them accurately is a whole other story but So we get out of the cave and Thomas does a little white court wiggle wiggle and snaps his neck back into place and is somehow alive still. Hmm. And Harry says, God, he should be dead already. And he says, better this way. Like hell it is. Hurt you. Maybe kill you like Justine. Brother. I don't want that. It's like, Thomas! Justine's alive, you dolt! (laughs) (laughs) It just bops him on the nose. And he passes out. But he doesn't die. And as he lay there breathing quietly, his cheeks were tracked with the trails of luminous silver tears. My brother would be okay. But then a thought occurred to me and I said, well, crap, what? Murphy said, when's it going to be Tuesday in Switzerland? (laughs) Which is fabulous. Uh, Okay, so it's he wakes up the next morning and the last stone on Ebenezer's pain killing bracelet had crumbled and he was feeling the pain. Which, as days go, was not one of my better starts. Then again, it wasn't the worst one either. (laughs) Harry uses this trope a lot where, oh, you know, it could be worse. Wait, no, no, it has been worse. Um, (laughs) Which is always entertaining. And then... uh, Why we love the Dresden Files. Right. Well, and then Thomas is there. And he said it took him a while to find something for Harry for the pain. Do we think he was getting street drugs? Do we think that's why it took him so long? Oh, oh, yes. I wanted to talk about that, actually, as we get through. I'm like, that was he, like, I literally have it highlighted in red. Yeah, no, 100%, because he's like, oh, it took longer. He's, that means he was waiting on his guy. Well, um, and he had a glass of water and a couple of blue pills. It's like, I mean, in my experience, those blue pills are very dangerous. But this is in, in universe. This is also 20 years ago, so it's a little different. 
I mean, some of the blue pills do uh, some blue pills do things other than other blue pills. That's you know true. That's true. Um, yeah, no, these are absolutely some weird street, street drugs, right? Okay, but hundred percent. Yeah, no, they, he doesn't say it explicitly, but like some combination <laughs> of like Molly, Oxy. <laughs> yeah. Oxy. Um, well, no, Oxy's a real drug. These are he's. I know, and you can buy street. You can buy street Molly or street street. Um, but pills. he's he's too coherent. And it's definitely, yeah, no, it's absolutely written Street as, drive. it's some sort of, like, party pill. Okay. Um, and Thomas would be the one to know how to get those. Well, of course. But, yeah, I thought that was entertaining. Well, mem- remember, Thomas is the guy that took Michael to a house of sin. <laughs> yes, yes. While they were looking for somebody, that is true. Oh, no, that's how they, that's how they got out of the Never Never. Yes, oh, that's which, right, that's presumably right. Presumably zero, which we learn about later, but yeah. I freaking love that. And so Thomas is cooking Harry breakfast poorly. And he's also feeding the cat and the puppy. I and just love how much fun he's having also. Right? He's just living. But something he's never had to do before. right? Like, yeah, I would imagine. He's, he's just enjoying every part of the process. I love it. And Thomas has a moment. He says, you saved my life. He says, you came to get me. You saved my life. Yeah, I agreed a moment later. I kept eating. Thank you nothing no it isn't you risked yourself you risked your friend murphy too yeah well we're family right too right we are which is why i want to ask you a favor and he asks him he wants to go back to the house and sort of figure out what the fuck's going on and he's like as long as we do it before tuesday and murphy came by to let them know that the uh investigation had determined that emma's death was an accident since no prints had been found on the weapon and the and eyewitnesses and the owner of the weapon had vanished, I wasn't in any danger of catching a murder rap. And it probably didn't win him any new friends in the department, but alas, Murphy looked like shit. Wraith had apparently dislocated part of her lower jaw and she was all bruised. Despite the happy blue pain pills, when I saw Murphy, I actually heard myself growling in rage at her injury. Murphy didn't talk much more than business, but her look dared me to make some sort of chivalrous commentary. I didn't, and she didn't break my nose by way of fair exchange. I love that. And she took him to a doctor, and the doctor basically said, bro, you gotta get it amputated. An artificial hand will give you more and more functionality than anything else. It's gonna be expensive. You probably won't have full function for a decade. And Harry said, my hand. Look, mine. Maybe my hand is screwed up, but it's mine. So no bone saws. And so he gave him legit a prescription for legit pain meds. And Which I'm sure are going to be way less effective than the other one. Right. And he got some, he got a, a set of gloves, tosses the right one out the window, which I love. And his hand is fucked. It truly is. He goes, he picks up the blue beetle from the repair shop and he goes to breakfast with Arthur. Arthur Arturo Genosa and the new Mrs. Genosa. And it turns out to be Joan. And he pays him. And he says, I didn't save your film. I didn't save Emma. You risk your life to save Giselle's and Jake as well. Emma, I understand that you may not be entirely free to speak, but I must know what happened to her. He and Joan share a look and he says, oh, wasn't, I'm not sure. I found him like that. 
maybe saw, thought I saw somebody running off, but you never know. And he says, I am in your debt. He wanted to turn the money down, but he did have to pay Kincaid tomorrow. So, and then uh, Jake shows up and we learn that Jake is Emma's baby daddy. Who knows? Who knew? And he and Bobby are going to start a consulting business, feng shui, which is hilarious. So he and Thomas head to the Chateau Wraith. And Lara tells him that Thomas is cut off. He, She says, if I am to main, maintain the fiction that my father is in control of his house, Thomas cannot remain. I'm not going to have you removed, of course, Thomas, but I do have to cut you off. You no longer enjoy the protection of House Wraith in any overt overt sense in any case, and I'm truly sorry for it. And she says, don't touch, lose your credit cards, don't touch your accounts. You've got some money tucked away. A little, he said. The money doesn't matter. He said, but Justine does. And so he goes to speak to her, and... Harry speaks with Lara. We learn that Inari is in traction and she, she has given her the 411 on what they are. And she's going to go to California doing some feng shui things. <laughs> I didn't know she knew martial arts, I said. Lara smiled a little watching Thomas. And she describes Justine as weak but delighted, like when they take those terminal kids to Disneyland on talk shows. It warmed the heart at the same time it wrenched it. I didn't like the way it made me feel. And he says, I don't trust you, but we've got a hostage crisis on our hands of family secrets. And so they basically are at an armed standoff. They both have information that could ruin the other's chances and everything and life. And so they have given each other their word that they're going to keep their mouths shut. And a half hour later, Thomas Rose leaned down and brushed his lips against Justine's cheek. He stood up rather abruptly, then turned and hurried away with tense, emotion, tense, pained motions. He didn't look back. As he approached, I got a good look at his face. His lips were burned and blistered. She has the protection of love. And that's really crazy to think about because it's his love that's yeah. protecting her, right? Interesting evolutionary. But it's also... Because he had, if she had, he had loved her before he needed to feed, he would have been protected as well. But it's just a timing thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, when. Yeah. So they go back to the apartment. And Harry says, you need to rest and I need a dog sitter. I'll drop you at my place. I'll run errands. You don't drink Max beer until you crash on my couch. We'll figure out what to do when you're rested. So Harry's trying to sort out, get some money together and. Bank guys get so hung up about things like bad credit histories and people who fill in the occupation blank of the application with wizard. <laughs> I guess I guess it could have been worse. I could have been filling out the reason for the loan was needed with payoff mercenary for services rendered. And so he's in pain, so he heads back to the house, and Thomas, Mr. and the puppy are all crashed out on the couch, and so he collapses on his bed. When he wakes up, it's Tuesday morning. And he is looking for the bright red dot of a laser sight to appear on his nose. He calls Kincaid's number and basically pages him. He calls him back. And we learn that somebody already paid him. We also learn that Mavra might not be dead. 
he basically says, how do you know it's her? Well, because she was wearing the same outfit. Son of a bitch, that sounds really lame even to me. One corpse looks a lot like another. It could have been a decoy. Could, he said. So my advice to you, Dresden, watch your back. And then Ivy says to say hello to the kitty. And I love that. Aww. And I put the phone down, thoughtful. When I turned around, Thomas was sitting up on the couch. Silently, he offered me the business card with Kincaid's account number and the amount of the bill on it. Found it in the laundry. You didn't have to do that, I said. I know, he replied. You really have that much money? Not anymore. That was pretty much everything I'd set aside. I hadn't made a lot of plans for independence. I figured I'd either be dead or running things. I've got about 50 bucks to my name now. <laughs> and so he says, you really saved my ass. Crash here for a while. Think of that money transfer as a rent payment. You can have the couch until you get your feet under you again. It'll be crowded maybe, but it isn't forever. And so then he goes out to talk to Bob. You're sure, Bob asked. It was he who walks behind? Yeah, thought I'd killed him. Walkers aren't killable, Harry. When you tore him up before, it banished him from the mortal realm. Might have hurt him, made him take some time to heal up, but he's still out there. That's comforting. And then he shows him his injury. Can you see anything about the injury? Burned meat and nerve damage. Looks like... Hmm, I think it'll still has reflexes, though. I bet you could use it a little if you did it without thinking about it. You're right. I think I did during the fight with Rafe. But look at this. Do you he recall... Sorry, I'm sorry. Hmm. Do you recall what he did during the fight with Wraith with that hand? I don't... He used it to... Because he, he took both hands to swing the um, shackles. Okay. At least that's what I gathered from. Yeah, and, I just could, I couldn't remember and didn't yeah. want to read the whole chapter again. He showed Bob the unburned flesh in the center of his hand. The unharmed flesh was in the shape of a sigil in angelic script. The name of one of the fallen angels, specifically the same entity imprisoned in an ancient silver coin that at that very moment trapped under two feet of concrete and half a dozen warding spells on the far side of the lab. Lashiel, Bob what? said, his voice were. Oh. I thought she was locked up. I thought she couldn't touch me from there, Bob. She can't. I mean, that's impossible. There's no way she should be able to be reached out from there. Sounds kind of familiar. But that's what I thought, too. And my staff is acting weird. When I start to run power through it, I'm getting excessive heat. The rooms start glowing like embers and there's smoke curling up on, out of them. It seemed like my workings with the staff were coming out a lot bigger than I wanted to. Did I blow something in the preparation? Maybe, Bob said. But, uh, well, it sounds a lot like hellfire. I hear that some of the fallen really love it. What? Hellfire. Sort of an alternate power source. Not a pleasant one, but man, you could really turbocharge violent spells with it. I know what hellfire is, Bob. Oh, right. Why are you using it then, Harry? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't mean to. I don't know what the hell is going on. Hell, Bob said. <laughs> you made with the funny box. I had involuntary access to Hellfire. Hell's bells. And as I left, Bob said, hey, Harry. Yeah, the orange lights in the skull glowed eagerly. Tell me again about Murphy's ass. Fucking Bob. <laughs> so Thomas comes back to the floor. He's got the pup puppy food and they named the 
puppy mouse because he's little, quiet, and gray. So earlier when, when Murphy was watching him mm-hmm. and he asked if the puppy was adding, you know, I'm sorry if the puppy added to your stress. And she's like, no, he was great. Quiet as a mouse. Aww. <laughs> He's a small little. I love that. Well, Easter egg if you read it. Yes. Now. Well, and then he's putting the food away. Hey, why'd you get large breed puppy chow? <laughs> It's going to be crowded in the uh, studio apartment for a while, I feel. Oh, I promise it will be to the extent that <laughs> I can't wait. Can't wait for, because you said that. I can't wait for you the end of this pod where you read the first paragraph of the next one. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. First off, uh, what do you think about the, you know, the chunk at large? Um, The biggest thing that I noticed is kind of the, um, the dichotomy, the, bio, the, diametrically diametric opposition between Wraith and Harry diametrically opposed foes exactly where where just in in that they both have this manipulation where Harry manipulates Wraith's emotions and the situation like Wraith manipulates people's desires that was just kind of an interesting thing I noticed and the other thing is is the way they deal with family um, Wraith equates family with control, with possession, something that he can use as a chess pawn. But Harry, on the flip side, equates family with connection and protection. He considers Murphy family. He protects her. Mm-hmm. And the same happens with Thomas, where he went back in there because Thomas is his brother. Yeah, there's that line in 42, I think, where he, or whatever, that last chapter where he's like, where Thomas says, like, you came after me. He's like, yeah, your family. <laughs> it was like yeah. to, to Harry, who's never had a family. That's what I was right? just going to say. Yeah, it's this idealized thing he's built up. And maybe that's why he, it's more pure to him than it is to, to Lord Wraith, who's yeah. had these assholes around him for centuries. <laughs> right. Well, but, but the other thing, too, is that Harry just lost his father figure. The, 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 the shine of his father figure has been significantly diminished at the beginning of this. Yeah, for sure. But that doesn't make him stop believing in the concept of family. Yeah, his cynical his cynicism does no bounds. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. Um absolutely. But I also love and I I read this but that the world might be vicious and treacherous and deadly, but it couldn't kill laughter. Laughter, like love, has power to survive the worst things life has to offer and to do it with style. And that's what motivated him. Survival and love and the good things. Even after he went through all of this, it's yeah. still that motivated him. And I really liked that. For sure. Um, yeah, I, chapter by chapter here, I, I, I made a note here about Remember, like, he, where there's the line where he's uh, trying to get Lara on his side. Uh-huh. And he says that, you know, your father's way weaker than you think. And she asks, how do you know that? And he says, insight. Yeah. That's what he, that was the, from the soul gaze. Yeah. His mom gave him insight. That's the one thing. And But his mom gave him the information to know this. And he had to use his insight to figure it out. Well, when I make a big, like, <laughs> deep, deep dive find, I need you to, like... Be impressed, not like say that it was so minimal that you didn't even need to mention it. <laughs> Good job, Joshy. 
Thanks, Lizzie. <laughs> I'm needy. Remember family. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Whatever. Well, she gave him insight. I. She gave him insight. I, I thought. I was confused because she said it sounded like she gave him something, but there was nothing received, you know, and clearly it was this. And I didn't put that together till now. But yeah, <laughs> this is why you're the brains behind the operation. <laughs> Shut up. Anything else in that chapter? Uh... There is a mean, There's the gun. There's the gunfight, which is, you know, that we learned more about the. Uh, the duster, which is cool, but we talked about yeah. that. All right. Chapter 37. Um, one thing I just I just liked about this was uh Bobby gets out of the car and he's car sick oh. and, and a little wobbly. Because uh because uh Lara drives like a crazy person. Yeah. But Inari's fine. Yeah, because she's used to it. <laughs> Fantastic. So, there's our other sister, uh one of our other sisters. When we go to B's home from my home, there's the route we often take has this like kind of fun windy rural road it's not i mean it's southern california like there's not a lot of rural out here but <laughs> but it's as rural as they get you know it's like in the hills and like you know it's kind of like cool and trees and foliage and stuff but it's windy and fun and one time with you know uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine we were going and i think we were having some drinks during the day or something so my mom drove and we just instead of driving ourselves we just hopped in the back of her van and for me it's normal for Caitlin. It was like a life shattering experience. This might've actually be why we were broken up. I'm just kidding. Um, like we We're like whipping through this windy road in the backseat of this van. And I'm like, you know, whatever this is out. This is how mom drives. And she looked over me and like, if looks could kill, <laughs> you would have thought I had like stabbed her puppy or something because I, I convinced her to get in the car with this mad woman. <laughs> for me, it was just normal. I, it's, very similar to what Bobby and Inari are feeling, I think, in this moment. <laughs> I mean, you know, hey. Oh, go for Canyon Road. <laughs> All right. Goodness gracious. Um, anything else in there? I mean, there's the gunfight. Um, oh, the one the one thing that uh, between that and with the, you know, the using the magic as a lance, how Murphy seeing the magic, she's just chill with it. Like she's no, so no, 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 that's 38. Oh, it's 37. Oh, I thought 38 was forced time, mass times acceleration. Oh, that, no, thir- end of 37 is the gunfight. Oh, okay. That's the okay corral. Okay. It's cool. Little, you know, I like the gunfight. You know, obviously, we see more of Murphy's competence and, you know, running the show. I did like, I did like Bobby tackling Inari out of a shotgun blast. That was, yeah. Especially because of where he started. Again, we've only had a couple interactions with him, but he went from like, anxious douchebag to like nervous friendly apologetic to protecting rom- romantic hero yeah like protecting his his lady his special lady and that's something and then the fact that that's obviously something that would um in, uh what's the word ingratiate oh there's another word panty moisten harry harry would notice because harry too protects people and i just kind of like that's his hairy moment sort of thing. Ah, yes. But I also think this this helps to contribute to rescuing Inari. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you know, big, bold, especially, you know, 
teenagers are dumb. And I say that as someone who was a teenager for like seven years, a big, bold gesture from the, you know, the boy she's infatuated with, you know, mm-hmm. this, will, this will help literally save her. He saves her life here, but it also is literally helping kill the hunger, you know, just kind of a cool moment there. 30, the, the, the chapter with the, on with the motorcycle, medieval times style, uh, joust with the motorcycle. Yeah. And this man is so cool. And we've talked so much on this, this pod about how much we love when the mundane and the magical interact. Right. Definitely. And, and it's, it's, it's great where it's just reality and this magic. I mean, it's just magic. It's, it's using, using the, the world of nature that we are familiar with. And which to you and I, physics is basically magic. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. At least, at least to me. I, I was never, physics was never my strong suit. Mm-hmm. But the other thing with all this is that um, I love the way that when Murphy sees the magic, she's just super chill about it. Like, she's really glad that the duster protected him. And then after the, the Lance moment, she's just laughing. Yeah. And it's just like, holy shit, I can't believe that worked. That was awesome. Yeah, right? Definitely. It was totally awesome. I really, I really, I really dug that. Where it's just like, okay, she rolls with the punches. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate how much I like Murphy this go through. <laughs> Sorry. I blame you mostly. And Jim Butcher second most. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah, the, 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 uh, the line where he says, you know, all the magic in the world or whatever, but force still equals mass times acceleration. I just, I love, I love that so much. Yeah interweaving making making this world feel grounded in our own but it's also giving limitations to the magic magic isn't an all-encompassing all-powerful there are limitations which is great yeah a superman problem you know they there's a we're like mr weasley's like oh we you know we can't let muggles know we exist or they'll want magic to solve all their problems like in universe magic can solve all their problems Mm -hmm. you fucking elitist prick <laughs> but here it really can't there are limits to yeah. what you can do i mean basically again i've said it before the only difference between this universe and yours and mine is that will has power like a direct uh, power over others instead of just over yourself yeah i feel like besides that it's like this is the same i, I live a, in this world it's I've our been, universe i've been to this chicago i drove past the chateau <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. 39 and 40, I don't have anything on. Um, well, okay, th- I have a couple things about 39. I do love that he's like, ah, I've been to these caves before. Straight up, been to these places before. But you know what? I've been to caves like this, yeah, yeah. This is a real nice one. You know, like... Well, that I, was we, 40, actually, but still, it doesn't matter. He talks about, like, I've been to lots of caves like this. But... Oh, maybe, but in 39 is where we're kind of introduced to the cave. and Yeah, no, for sure. And that's the one where he's just, is mostly Murphy. He's talking about Murphy's internal struggle. 39's not very yeah. good to talk about. Um, well, the other thing that um, I, I, I actually wrote, even as a hostage, Murphy still doesn't fuck around. And the one line that really, it pretty much, to me, encompasses who Murphy is, is you know, in her interactions right now with, with Wraith is you're a liar. I am my own. And I think that's just, that is Murphy. She is mm-hmm. her own. She is really rather impressive, honestly. Um, and the other thing in it's, 
part of it's in 39, but we also see it in this the first chunk of chapters here where Murphy is not her title. Murphy is a cop, but Murphy is not her title. When Lara calls her Officer Murphy on multiple occasions, Wraith calls her Ms. Murphy. She never corrects them. Uh, Wraith refers to her as police girl. But then... <laughs> sure she and, loved that one. Oh, I'm sure she loved that one. But the other thing that, that Wraith describes her as in an attempt to insult her, he calls her defiant woman and warrior woman. And with the warrior woman specifically, in the chapter at the park, Harry talks about all of the things she had to do to become that warrior because she is a woman in a very male-dominated field. And she's a small woman, but she is a defiant warrior woman. And Wraith picked up on that. He just views it in a different way, in a different manner. And I kind of really dug that where it's just like he's trying to say these things as insults. But we know it as this is actually this is just who she is. Yeah, like, yeah, fuck yeah, you're right, Wraith. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. That was we're, a big cheering one. we're cheering him on when he says those. The only time he gets yeah. cheered this whole fucking You're right. Novel. She is a, a warrior woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But that's a big one that I, you know, I came across. I was just like, well, fuck yeah. Um, but you are a liar, she whispered. I am my own. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. She's saying this through tears. Defiant tears. And I love that. I love oh, that. And, and then and then when she gives the you know the code word calling him yeah. Mr. Mr. Dresden. But again, that's with Officer Murphy, Ms. Murphy, and Mr. Dresden, the importance of those. We talk about I know we talk about proper honorifics. Yeah. Yeah, titles and honorifics, and we talk about this all the time. But they are very important. And even in this, it was so important, it's their code. And I love that. And you're right, they do describe the um cave in chapter 40 oh i'd like to say it's music to my ears but i just hear it on a repeat what you are right you are oh, right. dear god you are right. you're so dumb oh uh, uh, my, my notes back we t- we touched on this and i said i wanted to have a longer conversation that's why i didn't really dig into it during the breakdown mm-hmm. but it, when harry reaches out to try to you know magically assault wraith he felt nothing. Yeah. Cold and somehow emptiness, hungry emptiness that filled the space where he should have been. He'd felt something like it before when he'd been near a moat of one of the deadliest substances that any world of flesh or spirit had ever known. That's pretty significant. He's talking about Mordite. Yeah. Which we saw Shit. during the duel with... Don Paulo Ortega. What's yeah. important to note about Mordite is where does Mordite come from? Bad places. Beyond. Um, Mor- Mordite is not from our universe. Oh, interesting. It is from outside of our universe. Yeah. And he likens that feeling to the protection around Lord Wraith, right? Yeah, no, that, that's very interesting. Yeah, and that is something I wanted to draw your attention to in particular. Yeah. That's significant, because that the only time we've seen that level of power was from something not of this unit. Not of this world, yeah. 
And again, you know, right? It was alien. Oh, it's like an extraterrestrial? No. Outside of our existence. So just to like clarify when we're talking about this, heaven, hell, the, un- the Greek underworld, mm-hmm. all these spirit worlds, Valhalla, all these ideas exist within our universe. Yeah. So this is something beyond that. This is beyond all of our understanding, all of our, like Mordite is from beyond. And I'm wondering how much to give you on that, like specifically kind of referencing. No, don't give me more. Other stuff in this novel. Good, good. But like Wraith is protected by something otherworldly, other other universal. Like it's a word that doesn't exist. No, definitely. And that's very interesting. And I, I like, you know, Harry's able to win with, Kind of some subterfuge and, you know. He, he wins by using the real world and his will. He uses earth magic. magic. He uses yes. he, something that is tactile is what he uses. I, I love that. I, like, I love you brought that up. I love the symbolism. I don't know how important it is because all magic is kind of comes from within Harry. It's the same place. Mm-hmm. But he uses earth magic, which is something he's not even that good at. Right. But he uses a couple mm-hmm. of earth, moments of earth magic. To to you know defeat the 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 villain who's protected from beyond. It just seems you know like really grounding, but in in our you know our universe versus theirs, kind of like that. I just love that, and I didn't think of that until that phrasing until you said Earth Magic. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this I'm putting together on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, um, but I I liked that a lot, and that is definitely feels important. And it you know it, we don't get a ton of break we get no breakdown from that beyond but it's definitely feels monumental um, yeah that the only time we felt that power is around mordant yeah that is interesting um, uh anything else in you know them finally defeating him we see thomas come back from the the brink um uh the wraith and laura laura thing is ew just gross it's ew but it's like you know just kind of thing, but yeah, still no, it's just like, gross. It is gross. I'm not saying it's not gross. Um, but no, it's, no, it's less gross. It's less gross than him raping and controlling her. Is what I was kind of trying. To it's get just at. as gross. Just as gross. Is it? I disagree. But I get you. I mean, it's all all the nuts and bolts of it is gross. I'm talking about like the emotional, the emotional weight of reclaiming her power. Yeah, just the manner is just no. You. It is. I, like he's he's used her sexuality as a weapon, right? She sent him after Harry in this, right? We we've kind of put that together that he sent her to deal with Harry mm-hmm. who was protecting Arturo. But because Harry was protected, she wasn't able to use her sexuality as a weapon. But like she's using the weapon that he's forced her to be against him. There's something poetic to it, even if it's disgusting. I don't know. <laughs> Trying to give Lara the benefit of the doubt. I actually like it. Not everyone does because she's a bad guy. Sure. She's, a, she's a murderer. <laughs> the, the, the queen of the white, the white court. But she is, uh, she's a bad guy. But I like her. You know, 42, we've seen this kind of childish petulance before where it's like, no, this is mine. Uh, but it's just funny when he's doing that, talking about his hand. <laughs> like, it makes sense. Yeah. In this case, it's just like kind of calls back to some of his other immaturity that he's done in the past. He's like, well, but the thing about my hand mm-hmm. is that that's where his power comes through. His power, his will comes through his hands to his blasting rod, to his staff. Okay, that's interesting. Although, that's where I got that from. You project, but you project power with your right hand. 
But he uses, but, but he does use both hands though. He does. He does. But he also, when he uses his, um, when he, what's it? Like the force field, whatever that's called. Shield. Shield. That's what, that was close. Uh, he uses his shield. He uses both hands. And it's just so those sorts of things. But also a prosthetic, like, I feel like there would just be more things for his magic to fuck up. <laughs> that's fair. That was my first thought. I was like, oh God, he does not need a prosthetic. I imagine it wouldn't be electronic. I don't know. That is you funny. never know. What's interesting is, I don't know if it's the case in the canon anymore, but in the old extended universe of Star Wars, part of why Darth Vader wasn't able to exercise his whole power was because of his mechanical limbs. Because he looked funny. Like the force was like punishing him for like not being whole. Uh, interesting. That's all I got. I have no connection to this. It's just any, any opportunity to mention the extended universe and my Star Wars nerd knowledge, I will drop. Nice. Like it's hot, as they say, as the kids are saying these days work we get mention of old lash lashiel uh-huh. we haven't heard tell of um for a minute for a minute that's certainly interesting that his hand didn't burn all the way through yes what, uh, do you have any thoughts or so i literally this is the sentence i wrote down did the fallen angel sneak some of themselves into harry Ooh. because you know i mean it is it an all or nothing thing with the fallen angels? Because he does have the hellfire thing too. That's the other side of it where he's got that hellfire. And so it's sort of like a. Which now do you realize why when you were talking about the flamethrowers at Harry, you were referring to that as hellfire. I yes. like had a start. <laughs> yes, that totally makes sense. But I mean, but it's, you know, it's kind of fire and brimstone, hellfire. Oh, you know, oh no, I, I, I understood what you meant. Yeah. And you've, you've done that a couple times where you've said things that your meaning is incredibly clear, but it also to the <laughs> listeners additional and, meaning. Yeah. To the listeners and myself, there's like another funny, like secondary meaning you can glean from it. And that was one of them that I just thought was funny. And I actually forgot that they mentioned it in this chapter. I thought we had to wait another couple weeks for that. Hey, mm-hmm. I'm good. You, you really truly are. Even when you're doing it on accident. Seriously, you're so, so good. Weird. You're so good. You you hit theories on the head on on accident, which is crazy. Yeah, no, like so he's using this fallen power, mm-hmm. and he's marked. Yes, by the fallen. But it's funny that usually when you think of being marked by, presumably a villain, right? I mean, she's a fallen mm-hmm. angel. We don't know what she's getting up to because we've never met her, um, and certainly everyone. You know, Give everyone their credit. Give give people some grace, you know? Maybe she had a bad weekend. Lucifer was very convincing. <laughs> and she, she went along with it, you know? Um, who knows? Any Anything could have happened. As, according to Dogma, that was before God banned alcohol in heaven. So maybe everyone was just wasted. It was a rager. <laughs> but presumably, it's a bad guy who marked hair, right? And usually when yeah. you think of being marked by a bad guy, it's like a festering wound or like a black mark or something, you know, something of that. And it's funny that here, the only part of his left hand that looks whole and right and correct is the part that was touched by the coin. So here's another little bit of weird wooey shit. Okay. Okay. So I had to look this up because I was like, there's gotta be... You don't think that's interesting? No, but okay. So Mm -hmm. when you get your palm read, your right hand is what you are. 
your left hand is your potential. Oh, interesting. I don't know if that's an intentional thing, but the right hand tells you, you know, more about your character, your personality, what you are. The left hand is your potential. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. He could be this withered husk or he could be a fallen angel. Um, I know that's not what you meant, but that's, that is interesting. No, I like that a lot. That's, a, so, that's a, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it could just be that I'm looking for symbolism where there isn't, but there's so many things that are so intentional that that was one of the things I, I had to look up about it being the center of his left hand. I mean, we've been doing this for seven months now. I have a hard time believing that any of the symbolism is on accident. Yeah, because we're going, we're, we're going so deep into it. And, you know, I, of course, look shit up because that's how my brain works. That's great. I like to know. And so that was one of the things where I was just like, well, what, what is a, what is the difference between a left hand and a right hand? And while yes, all of the power goes through his right hand, but that's also because that is what he is. You know, yeah. if you think about the right hand, it, it, it it's... And link that back to how he feels about magic. Yeah. That is what he is. That is who he is. Yeah. That's funny. And then the left is, is your potential. Your potential is burning in that hellfire. Dude, that's crazy because what he's talked about it in this in this novel that he's talked about before, where your left hand you absorb power, oh, and your right side you exert power. That's yeah. So your right side is what you want to do to you know be the change, be the magic you want to see in the world, and your left hand you're absorbing from other people. You're taking, you're 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 gaining. You know, he did that with Anari. That's that's interesting. I wonder. I mean, you know, that, that might be a little over the top, but it's. That's in, those are certainly connected uh, philosophy. And he, he borrows so much. He studies so much, and like he, yeah. I, 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 I'm you know that idea of left hand, right hand is probably a you know historic pagan tradition or you know, yeah, no, definitely. Well, palmistry comes from like the like a lot of the palmistry stuff is like rooted in the occult and pagan paganism. Yeah, and, that's like, what I'm saying. Know. So I think those those ideas yeah. are probably connected. That's really interesting. Yeah. So. It's also why you put your right hand over your heart when you say that, when you're, when you're swearing things. No, no, no. That's fascism. No, no, no. Well, in like the ages of old, a knight would put his right hand over his heart. I I was talking about something else. Yes, I know you were. Your, your right hand is your hand you pledge with. The last thing I wanted to touch on in uh, chapter 42 was the, it's mutually assured destruction with Lara and Harry. Like she can ruin him yeah. to the white council and he can ruin her to the white court. Definitely. So there you, you basically like we have, we were in a, we have an agreement here that we're good. Like we're not going to fuck around with this because of how hard they could fuck the other. And I just, they, just it's the mutually, armed neutrality. Yeah. Mutually assured destruction. It's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Um, what about, Yikes. Well, the whole Wraith and Lara thing is just gross and super icky. I don't really have any that many yikes because there really is there really wasn't that much in here. Because we've yeah. already discussed Harry and his protection of people, but in this he this novel he said a couple of realizations about Murphy. Which yeah, I really appreciate. Certainly coming along. Um, I had more problem, and again, this this isn't really with Butcher. This is more just like looking at the things that happen. I, I had more problem with the way that Wraith was interacting with Murphy more than Lara and Wraith. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, which again, I understand that there's a t- if this was an ick section, that would be top of my list. Well, and, but, um, but, but it's more like about- she's, she's taking her power back. Well, and Wraith is also it increases his villainy. Yeah, for sure, and it's intentional. And again, it's not played as okay, so it's not really kind of the traditional yikes that we've touched on from some of the other stuff. Yeah. It's not played as okay. I like I like that wording. It's not yeah. played as okay. Yeah. There's the, the, the callback to the vibrator joke, which wasn't good the first time. Um, I, whatever. It's like, yeah, I, I was very much like, okay, whatever. That was girls a, a have vaginas very... and it's funny, I guess is the joke. Um, whatever. Um, didn't, didn't really care either way. It's just, Me neither. I just think it's dumb. And yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's again, uh, for a, a book about sex work and sex workers and succubuses and, succubi and incubi it really actually does a good job of not being over the top yikesy yeah um, now I, I i didn't like some of the really early treatment of sex work that you were okay with which is yeah i believe i you know I, your lived experiences are real and valid and neither of us have been this is perspective neither of us have been sex workers for as as long no. as we'd like as long as we'd like to have been <laughs> but it definitely I remember this as being worse. Really? Interesting. Yeah, and I am glad it wasn't. I, I love being proven wrong because you learn when you're wrong. And in this case, I, I was really actually, you know, one of our you know, one of our listeners even typed in and, and said they were worried that you were I think it was Dragon Fat I say, but like they were he was worried that you weren't gonna like this book. And we were both like coming through this is like, yeah, that was okay. <laughs> it's the way it is portrayed. Oh yeah, no four. I, I, I mean, two thumbs up to Butcher and how he how he dealt with it, and he did it more from a perspective of Harry's embarrassed than this is bad. Yeah, which you know, I mean, there's something to that. Like if you're, it's, he doesn't really have a right to be embarrassed about someone else's job, but it's but not it's, about it's just about sex. But, it, but Harry's always seems to be embarrassed. Yeah, about and, and it, but it, and it wasn't played off as. As you're wrong, I, I'm right for sure. No, I, I I thought it was really well done in in a, in a situation that would have been really really easy to go awry. Like oh, 100%. Really 100%. Um. So yeah. So kudos there. Well, no. The other thing I want to point out is this isn't a yikes. This is I should have said this in the analysis, but we got three big three big bads lined up in the queue. Who's that? Navra, Lashu, mm-hmm. and he who walks behind. Oh yeah, we got three big baddies lined up in the queue. So oh, shit, I assume that most people who listen to this podcast, especially by now, I think we've explained the entirety of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> start to finish. <laughs> yes, yes. But it, it's a concept that comes is really credited to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Big bad is is mo- again serialized television didn't really exist until the late nineties, early aughts, where meaning. TV the, shows. The story continues. Yeah, TV it's the shows same were characters, and yeah, yeah. Like each episode was its own standalone episode, um, and then the next week it was a new standalone episode, and and you had you know there was some character growth, and there were some interactions, and obviously their relationships and stuff were interpersonal. But one of the big things that Buffy is credited, right or wrong, I mean, there may have been other shows that did it first, but Buffy is kind of credited with is creating this idea of a big bad, which is a season long villain. So they'd have their monster of the week and then each week they'd inch closer and closer towards 
dealing with the monk, the, the big, and so that we use that term a lot, but that's where that comes from is yeah. big bad. And so Alyssa's right. Like we're setting up these characters for long-term badness. big, you know, badness. <laughs> yeah. Long-term badness, which is really cool to see. And we've seen that since the beginning, you know, kind of sowing the seeds, but mm-hmm. it's starting to pick up and Lissy's right. Like there's three bad guys. And now what the fuck is Ebenezer? We don't even know what that's where that's at either. So like three and a half antagonists. Well, I, I like lined up in our three faces. bad, three baddies in a gray area. I said antagonist. <laughs> antagonist doesn't have to be a bad guy. It's that's just true. the, uh, you know, going against our pro tag. Yeah. Which in this case is, uh, what's his name? The guy that we talk about all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do you have uh what what do you got on the quote front? Oh my cards. I was all, I have three cards of um crap. Oh, good. So. Then, then we'll, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I love They're it. not completely filled. I so I take my notes on index cards. I literally have an inch and a half stack of index cards that because I keep them. Just because like in case I need to reference back to old my old notes. Oh, that's that's incredible. <laughs> Super nerdy. Okay, so starting in chapter 37, I didn't have a 36, but I put on the bulky, clunky red helmet, fairly certain that I had never before disguised myself as a kitchen matchstick. Murphy's black helmet, by comparison, looked like something imported from the 25th century. I sighed as a battered corpse of my dignity took yet another kick in the face and got on the bike behind Murphy. The battered corpse of my dignity. Yes, I love that. I love that. Um, And in that same chapter, as he's talking to Lara, next time you're practicing the sex appeal? Maybe you should spend some time working on some go hither, go thither to go with all the come hither. <laughs> Shit. That was one of my two. <laughs> um, that was a really good one. So here's, uh, this is from chapter 38, where he's talking to Wraith. You must feel smug and self-satisfied. Are you getting to a point? I like that one. Um, Hell's Bells, Irony Blows. That's a great one. Uh, he's like a movie villain murphy said no hollywood wouldn't wouldn't allow that much cliche i shook my head and i don't think he's thinking very clearly right now he's pretty worked up about beating my mom's death curse (laughs) um and you read this one but i still love it blood washes out with enough soda water i said i've got no trouble with the thought of spilling more of yours sort of pink anyway it's creepy when the coroner talks about how easy it is um, actually I learned as a, any woman knows how to get blood out of fabric. Um, but actually peroxide <laughs> works better than soda water. Fair um, enough. you've played me at my own game and ably. I thought you capable of nothing but overt action. Clearly I underestimated you. Don't feel bad. I said, I mean, I look so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that one entertained me. But that's the other thing. You've gotten two of my three main ones and also two of my three backups. No, I'm okay. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Oopsie poopsie. Oh, God. Are you done yet? Yes, I'm done. Okay. Ah, Jesus. That's not a very good plan, Harry. Murphy said. (laughs) It's a Waskily Wabbit plan. I said, actually, it qualifies as a crazy plan. Crazy like a fox. (laughs) <laughs> i love that oh and then where uh, i already read it but like i said it was one of my backups because lissy stole all my good ones but i never told anyone what margaret's curse did to me Dresden. how did you know my mother told me about it your mother is dead boy you're immune to magic too guess she just doesn't have a lot of respect for the rules 
Oh, <laughs> uh, which is very on brand with Dresden as well, which is why I like it so much. Yes, very much so. The other thing um, that I meant to point out, but I forgot, is the concept of Harry's faith in himself, where he's always like, yeah, you know, yeah, you know. But in this, he had to, um, he had to do more. Mm -hmm. And like, he had to, he, his insight, he had to point out, you know, it's insight. I figured it out. It's insight. Yeah. So I really liked that. You and he figured it out years before I did. (laughs) All Um, right. You'll understand why I had trouble with that eventually. (laughs) When you start to realize just how dumb your baby brother is. Goodness gracious. Or later in this novel, it's one of those two things. Um, I guess you uh gotta get us a crackpot theory though. Or can't get out of here. Oh, I got one. a couple of them. I got a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this goes along with the the fallen angel sneaking up part of Harry with Harry's healing. This is this is a complex crackpot theory, by the way, guys. Sorry. So that whole idea where I, I keep saying that Harry's not mortal, the hand. The Hellfire. So maybe he did pick up a little bit of the Fallen Angel, but maybe he can defy it. He's It's not controlling him because he's got these other levels. I know that's a lot. That sounds, I sound like a conspiracy theorist. Can you say that again? I didn't understand. Okay, so Harry, I keep saying I don't think Harry is just mortal. I don't think he's a normal wizard. Okay. And in this book, we've got the hand where he hasn't lost his hand. He still has reflexes in his hand. He's got that area in the center of his left palm from the fallen angel. So that fallen angel has some connection to him. But I think that because he is beyond, he's more than a wizard, that he can control that a little bit more. Oh. I know that's a really complicated one. But no, um, it's certainly interesting. And that's actually crosses over three of my cards. The fallen angel, the fallen angel connection is because he touch the coin yes but everybody else who touches the coin may get taken over by the fallen angel he has not yeah no, i no, i, I like to i just want to make sure that, that yeah part clear. no 100 no, there's 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 some interest there's some intrigue in there i like um in there being inside me okay i'm i'm, and, I'm intrigued by the thing <laughs> <laughs> this is another thing because the concept of cat's paw mm-hmm Mister is kind of like Harry's cat's paw. <laughs> it's funny, like and very I literal. No, I know. I, I it's funny, like uh, yeah. I sent you that. I sent you that XKCD, right? Where it's like you're one of today's ten thousand. Yes, I did. The comic. I had to have sent it. To you. Possibly. Sorry, yeah. I don't. I don't remember. Relevant XKCD is a years ago was a very common Reddit thing. Okay, but it's a comic series that there's a. A relevant XKCD has a comic relevant to every thought, uh, but one of them that I positive I sent you just means you don't click all the links I send to you. Um, she just smiley emojis things that I send her. No, I uh, actually do click everything you send me, butthead. I kid, but it's about like instead of like, oh, haha, you didn't know about this. It's like no, no, no. Like he did the math of like if ever if everyone quote unquote knows this by the time they're thirty, that means ten thousand people a day are learning it. And so in, instead of being like, oh, how do you not know this? Like uh, the, in the comic, it's like, wait, 
Mentos and Diet Coke? What's that? He's like, oh my God, we're going to the store. You're one of today's today's lucky 10,000, right? It's like being excited when people learn new things. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, But like cat's paw is a a term that is littered throughout the Song of Ice and Fire. Ah, okay. And also other type, you know, this series and anything with the white court. Um, So it's just one of those things that like, I know what it means. And I just assume you're like way more into books and way smarter than me. It's funny when like, and I don't mean funny, like, oh, fucking Lucy. It's just funny whenever things that, like, when you're saying, like, oh, I had to learn that today. It's like, um, it's just different pieces of the pie, you know? Yeah. Um, But you're one of today's lucky 10,000 who learned what cat's paw means. Hey, and, there you and go. That's, well, that, and that's incredible. Also, we should go to the store and get some Mentos and, and Dr. Pike <laughs> Coke to celebrate. And um, I straight up put that right into my crackpot theories. <laughs> no, it's, it, it was perfect. Also, I have one more. Color me shocked that Mr. shows up in a crack. <laughs> Mr. is the only one who can show up in Crackpot Theories on weeks when he doesn't even show up in the story. He showed up in the story this time. Oh, he had a cameo in chapter Briefly. <laughs> yes. Okay, and the <laughs> last the last Crackpot Theory, Harry's mom's not dead. <laughs> That's a new one. I haven't, I haven't, I'll probably have to blow that one up like I just did the Harry one this week. But yeah. I have strong feelings about things. (laughs) No one's dead and no one's human in your world, which is a more interesting book series than Butcher put together. Uh, But I do love it. It's pretty Uh, ridiculous. It's pretty ridiculous. um, Do want to thank um, subscribers and potential subscribers. Um, A couple people have asked how to subscribe this week, which is you, you, you don't have to. You really don't. But we do appreciate it. We love it. Yes. Right now, the only way to do it is through the ACAST, um, ACAST.com, which I you may even have to, oh, you, of course you have to be a member to subscribe because you have to give them money and things. And they do take their pound of flesh. But um, <laughs> I, again, I, it, we're so new to this. I don't know how to do it on Spotify or Apple yet. Um, it's one of the things on my list. Of are we going to have to get us a Patreon? We are going to get a Patreon at some point, mostly. <laughs> and it'll just be like, have Lissy read things to you. Um, just like, have Josh. Oh, Patreons get this. T- the TikToks where I announce that we have stuff. Patreons get that, but my face is blacked out. It's, like, it's a huge bonus. Um, no, I, uh, yeah, at some point we'll do that. But like, like we're, we're doing this. Like I said, I've said for a long time, my goal with this was to make my sister have a conversation with me every Tuesday. And um, if anyone else wants to listen to that conversation, that's great. No, but it's, we are super excited for the, the handful that we have. And right now, the only way to do it is on is through ACAST. Um, I will try to dig into that this week. I've had a little more time on my hands as things open up. Um, but we appreciate you, and we're really excited about that. Yes. Oh, I have to read the... Yes. Okay. So... I sent you a link to it if you don't have it. I actually had already downloaded it earlier today. Oh, perfect. So what are we doing? How much am I reading? First paragraph? Uh, read till it makes sense. I think, I mean, yeah, definitely the first paragraph because it's funny. Also because you said ably earlier, which you'll get in a second. I'm at, looking at, le- at it right now. Yeah, at least or used to be. Oh, goodness. Okay. So this is the beginning of Deadbeat. Okay. On a whole, we're a murderous race. No fucking shit. According to Genesis... It took as few as four people to make the planet too crowded to stand, and the first murder was a fratricide. Genesis says that in a fit of jealous rage, the very firstborn child to mortal parents 
Kane, snapped and popped the first metaphorical cap in another human being. The attack was bloody, brutal, violent, reprehensible killing. Kane's brother Abel probably never saw it coming. As I opened the door to my apartment, I was filled with a sense of empathetic, sympathy, and intuitive understanding. For freaking Kane. <laughs> so the house is really crowded, you're saying? <laughs> in fact. That's fantastic. Um, that tells you absolutely nothing about the story. I just nope. thought that was funny, and I'm glad that is great. did it. Um, look at, you want to look at the uh, covers? and Oh, let's see here. Okay. You got to give us a, a separate theory on what you think the book's about. I know that's Dead, true. Dead beat. Okay, so there. So the on my phone, I have the um, I so I do the Kindle version, but I also the audiobook version. And they have two. The color schemes are very similar. They're very blue. Um, Harry's standing there holding a staff in his. Ooh, I, right I bet this is about magic. Possibly, I could be wrong, but. <laughs> Something in the back. I can't see the picture. Hold on, let me see if I can look at this. Let's see. I just want to see the picture. Um, okay, so there's a city in the background, and he's in an alleyway. 100%, he's, somebody's chasing him. He's getting into some kind of trouble, and he has to hide from people. Mm. Which isn't unusual or rare. Anything on, dead, anything on deadbeat? Somebody owes him money, or he owes somebody money. That's usually what deadbeat implies. Dead no, dad. no, no, no surprise if Harry owes somebody money. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very fair. Um, I am excited. This is one of those. I, 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 I always say, oh, I, I don't want to do this, but this is one that is generally when people say like, oh, I read the first one. I didn't like it. When they, like, this is one where they say, read seven and then circle back. Gotcha. So this, whatever. I, I mean, I, I I could have not said that, but I then just would have said it next week. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I uh, I really like this one, and I remember, or at least you know, it's interesting. I didn't really like Blood Rights before, and I did like it this time. So the the deep dive, right? So yeah, who knows? But coming into this fresh, it's been a while since I've read it. I am. Like I said, I only have three of the books physically, and I have a dick mark. I had to use it. <laughs> if you haven't seen the, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the dick marks. Please uh, watch the TikTok from this week. I I show it again. Patreon subscribers don't have to see the ugly, the, a good looking fellow. I'm just hefty. Um, <laughs> the uh, the Patreon subscribers don't have to see the ginger in the back, but uh, I do I do show what we're talking about, and the dick marks are so cool. Um. 13 star designs, facebook.com slash 13 star, star designs. But uh, I'm very excited to get into this one because it's one that I remem remember loving. And like I said, there's 17 of them. I like them all. I just like them different amounts. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is uh, exciting. Uh, so next week, well, let's do the first seven chapters. I think it's not actually as long as that sounds. I know we don't usually do seven, although we did seven. I'll be back to back weeks doing seven because we're crazy. Um, but definitely want to get into dead beat. And I'm excited to do so. I cannot wait. Um, yeah, thank thank you guys so much. We really appreciate you. Um, I said I had a really good back and forth on Facebook with Brandon, a bunch of good emails as well. 
um, we really appreciate. And that's, I think, all we got. I, I just thank you guys so much for, for being awesome and supporting the pod. Again, the ACAST is a, that's the site where we kind of host our, our pod. And so that's right now where, the, where we have our subscriber. And again, I, I love everyone who does it. I, 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 I don't, I'm not the guy that likes pitching this shit. Like, I'm not a salesman. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we get you the pod a day early. That's the best we can do right now where we're at in this, but it's something. And, uh, you know, you're, you're more than welcome to, to do that and buy us a cup of coffee. We appreciate it. And, but for the most part, um, the best thing, you know, the best free thing you can do at least to support us is just give us five, uh, as many stars as you think appropriate and tell your friends, you know, we're, we're, we're growing slowly, but surely. And it's so cool to see. And I have a, I have a map, you know, one of those maps where you scratch off. It's supposed to be like countries you've been to and stuff. What I do is I scratch off countries of pe- and states where people have downloaded us. And it's just so fun to add a new country to that every time somebody else hops on board. So just tell, you know, tell all your friends, download us, and give us a like if you can on whatever platform you, you, you do your podcasting. So parting thoughts and words, Liz, wisdom, stock tips. Uh, no, no stock tips over here. Uh, <laughs> Somebody help me out. I'm underwater over here. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to get into this. Yeah, Lissy wants me to end this podcast immediately so she can go read the rest of that first chapter of, of Deadbeat. <laughs> so I will let her go. I will let you go. And I just, uh, well, I guess get us into the outro music. So I've been Josh. I am Alyssa. This has been the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. Goodness gracious me. Goodness gracious me. So I went to the store hungry, which is always a terrible. Always, always a problem. I did get peach rings and beef sticks. Ooh. Two kinds of beer and whiskey. And also Reese's peanut butter drizzled popcorn. Mmm. Did I mention the peach rings? I did. Yes. I also went through the self-serve candy aisle and um, did despicable things. <laughs> and also bought the two things that I went in there for. Hey, I that's the important part. $143 for literally pound of shrimp and a can of clams. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice work, Joshy. Don't go to the store hungry, folks. No, no. That's always Not. dangerous. Ugh. Not hungry anymore. Well, yeah. I've grazed my way through.